This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. This episode is brought to you by Thorn, and I have some incredible news for any of you that are in the military, first responder, or medical professions. In an effort to give back, Thorn is now offering you an ongoing 35% off each and every one of your purchases of their incredible nutritional solutions. Now, Thorn is the official supplement of CrossFit, the UFC, the Mayo Clinic, the Human Performance Project, and multiple special operations organizations. I myself have used them for several years, and that is why I brought them on as a sponsor. Some of my favorite products they have are their Multivitamin Elite, their Whey Protein, the Super EPA, and then most recently, Cinequil. As a firefighter, a stuntman, and a martial artist, I've had my share of brain trauma and sleep deprivation, and Cinequil is their latest brain health supplement. Now, to qualify for the 35% off, Go to thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Click on sign in and then create a new account. You will see the opportunity to register as a first responder or member of military. When you click on that, it will take you through verification with GovX. You'll simply choose a profession, provide one piece of documentation, and then you are verified for life. From that point onwards, you will continue to receive 35% off through Thorn. Now, for those of you who don't qualify, there is still the 10% off using the code BTS10, Behind the Shield 10, for a one-time purchase. 
Now, to learn more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of the Behind the Shield podcast with Joel Totoro and Wes Barnett. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Toby Harkins. Now, Toby is an athletic trainer for the Florida Gators, so we discuss a host of topics from his journey into sports medicine, his incredibly powerful message regarding heat emergencies, overcoming injury, rehab, jiu-jitsu, and so much more. Now, before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of over 650 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Toby Harkins. Enjoy. Toby, I want to start by saying thank you so much for not only coming on the podcast, but inviting me to your place of work. So for people listening, because they're not able to see this, tell them exactly where we're sitting and in which city. We are on 34 50 Hull Road in Gainesville, Florida at the Orthopedic Sports Medicine Institute, uh, a UF Health Orthopedic Center. Beautiful. Okay, well, I want to start at the very beginning of your story. As I mentioned, you know, some people come on, they've got such online presence, I'm able to research and read books and all kinds of stuff. Other people, not so much. So I'm going to learn as we go along here. So tell me where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, where your parents, excuse me, what your parents did and how many siblings. Uh, I grew up in Simpsonville, South Carolina, a small town in South Carolina, kind of rural uh, mom and dad, mom was pretty much a stay-at-home mom, and dad was a home improvement entrepreneur. So owned his own company, started a company with his brother, had a falling out with his brother, started his own company. Before they both passed, they were best friends again, so that's a pretty cool story. Kind of neat to sit there and watch that. Um, but uh, my dad did Exterior home stuff, anything, siding, windows, whatever. Uh, cool part for me, uh, I, my bottom was in a truck when I was 12 years old. And every summer thereafter, uh, I was an employee. And so that was cool. Um, I didn't get a lot of, uh, oh, this is the, the boss's kid treatment, but I got a lot of experience, you know, sitting in between two dudes who do this for a living, picking up trash, helping them. And it, it, it inbred in me a desire to help the process go well, which is all I do for a living these days, interestingly enough. Now, was that in South Carolina originally? Yes, sir. Okay. So talk to me about the the house construction, because coming from England, I grew up in a big stone farmhouse that dates back to the 1600s and I think even beyond that, some of the foundations. But So they build the houses to, to last for a very long time. When you move, especially to Florida, you see whether it's some of the older buildings in the 50s or um, even new construction where 
it doesn't seem like there's that longevity inbuilt into some of our construction. So that investment that you're making to own a home, are you going to be able to pass it through generations? What through that unique lens that you had, what was, you know, which type of construction did you see did last the test of time? And what was some of the ones you saw falling down? I would tell you from my lens, uh, my father spent his time uh, exactly that, recouping a mess and trying to make it sustainable for, I almost said the patient because that's what I do for a living, right? <laughs> but make it sustainable for the person who owned the home. Honestly, James, we lived in a small area of South Carolina that there were probably more mobile home trailers with wheels under them than there were brick and mortar homes. And so honestly, the great majority of his business was re-roofing trailers. A sustainable, like these metal pan roofs that you see on homes now, mm-hmm. old boy started that, putting it on trailers back in the day. Oh, really? Yeah. And, and and because think of a roof on a trailer, right? That is the bane of those things' existence. Wind hits, those things start flapping, here we go to leak. And so uh, that was one of the big, I, I spent innumerable amount of time taking styrofoam sheets, put them on roofs, building frames, putting metal sheets over, making these Mobile homes where they could be lived in, underpinning under a mobile home, doors, windows, all that stuff. We really spent time on not the real construction process, but trying to make something that someone was living in livable, probably. Um, so, yeah, uh, man, all that. You, what you would see, uh, and maybe it's a resiliency project, right? The stuff that people will live through, mm-hmm. the environments that they will live in. Um, you know, there's something to be said for that, but I felt like that's where we spent most of our time. I'm taking something that's not great and maybe making it nice. Yeah, it's funny. You reminded me of a, a fire I had in a mobile home in Orange County, um, and it really wasn't much of anything. But I remember when the firefighters brought in a pipe pole, which is what we use to pull ceiling in a regular house. And I'm just looking at him going, what, what the fuck do you think you're going to do with that? <laughs> this is a, a mobile home. Like, it's just metal up there. So, yeah, that was a comedy moment amongst the chaos. Um, all right. Well, then, so you're working with your hands. You're working with your dad a lot. Talk to me about sports athletics during that childhood. Yeah. So I grew up uh, playing sports from day one. I grew up as a left-handed uh, baseball player. And it wasn't until uh, two years in, I think, that uh, somebody said, hey, why don't, you, why don't you switch that glove a little bit? And then in baseball, it's really hard. Like, I am left-handed. Uh, I shave, eat, right, left-handed. Minute things, left-handed. Big skills, right-handed. Which, that was, you're ambidextrous. That's cool. You can do a bunch of stuff. You're really not good with either hand. <laughs> it's, it's not that I'm really good with one or the other. I'm not good with either. Uh, but I found, okay, I need to play baseball right-handed. Um, I played baseball, basketball. Uh, I did not do any wrestling, grappling growing up. I was a fake wrestling fan. My mom, this is how redneck I am. My mom and dad's first date was to fake wrestling, professional wrestling. It's still real to me, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I grew up every Monday night. uh, My dad took me to to professional wrestling. Um, So that was my only real grappling experience was watching those guys. Um, But So I grew up playing baseball, basketball, some soccer here and there. uh, But played those sports growing up, played football growing up. And then when I got to high school, uh, just played baseball, basketball, and soccer. All right. 
I actually had Mark Miro. I forget what his name was now. Uh, Johnny B. Bad. The Johnny B. Bad, yeah. And I had Diamond Dallas Page on the show too. Oh. Talking about his DDP yoga and yeah, all that stuff. That's really, awesome. really interesting. Yeah. All right. Well then, um, so you're obviously exposed to the construction world. What were you dreaming of becoming as you were getting into high school? I think I, I want to be a baseball player. That was my mindset. I was going to be a baseball player. And honestly, that's what got me into medicine. 100% is I was a bad college baseball player. Uh, my friends often uh, kidded me that I set the NCAA record for consecutive innings caught uh, because I never left the bullpen. <laughs> so <laughs> as soon as the game would start, hey, Toby, go warm him up. And uh, I would be there for the rest of the game, typically. Uh, I made a few appearances here and there, but it was very rare. And two years in, I think, okay, uh, into college. I played baseball at a small school in uh, Erskine College in U.S. South Carolina. A liberal arts school would have never probably went there, changed my life to go there, but probably would have never picked it if it weren't for baseball. That was one of my better opportunities to go play baseball. Now, a cool baseball powerhouse. Then they were looking for people like me to play there. And, uh, <laughs> but I, I went, wasn't good, um, got moved to middle infield pretty early on uh, when I would play. And to go from trying to just catch a fastball or a curveball to these balls on the ground was difficult for me. Um, but uh, there was a dude in the corner of our dugout. Uh, I, we kidded about this the other day. I'd never drank out of a cooler before, right? Uh, like, obviously, in this world now that we're in, you know, everybody's got their own bottle of everything, you know. But at that time, water, you, you went and found a hose or whatever, right, when we were growing up. Um, and so I had never seen somebody set up a cooler, and this guy comes and brings a cooler in our dugout and is, is providing some medical care for us that I'd never had in my life. Didn't know what he was. And uh, he was he had good insights, James, right? Um, I often pretend that I can look over top of your head, and, and I see something or I don't. And I can't really explain that outside of, I, I don't know, I, I feel like when I looked over the top of that dude's head, when I, when I looked at that guy's insides, uh, that was a good human. He cared for us. Um, I'm, no idea. I got to think that he could have done other stuff. Uh, he was a super skilled dude. You know, he was, he was a caring man. I, I could have, he could have done anything and he chose to be there taking care of us. And that set a, a precedent for me. Like, what is that? What does that guy do? Uh, had a baseball hit me in the mouth. Uh, and, and push back one of my teeth. And so I finally make my way up to that room. And that's the, and, hey, I don't know what to do here, but they told, they sent me up here. And then you said they sent me to the training room. Now training room's a bad word. Everything's an athletic trainer, athletic training room. But uh, go up there and, you know, and he gives me good care. But but won my heart. And I thought, okay, if I'm not going to be a baseball player, uh, maybe I can do what that guy does. And that's 100% what happened. Uh, I became an athletic training student under that guy. I quit baseball, um, missed it. That was a hard decision, but I'd realized, well, I'm not going to make a living doing that. And so I need to make a living doing something. And, and whatever athletic training was at the time was what I was interested in. I wasn't a great student, but I got the, and the thing for me about orthopedic medicine is back to the hands thing. I, I bet it was handed down from my dad, you know, but I never really enjoyed chemistry, uh, general biology stuff that I can't see. That kind of stuff never really fired me up, but getting my hands on something and, and pulling on your leg and see if your ACL is good or not, that made sense to me. My brain could wrap around that. And so that, that version of medicine, it, it shocked me what the possibilities were. And, and, and it has changed a lot. Athlete training is a little field, right? 1950. 
was the first is when the National Athletic Training Association was founded. Oh, really? 1950. That wasn't that long. Like, to some people think, oh, my gosh, 1950. But for people as old as you and I, that's a baby of a career. Mm-hmm. Right? What year was it that you transitioned into that field or uh, began studying it? Yeah, in, in, in the, at the end of the 1900s, so 96. <laughs> people say, someone said to me the other day, I was born late 1900s. I'm like, please don't ever say that. <laughs> uh, back in the 1900s <laughs> uh, is when I, I think I got my first paycheck. Um, and so, uh, and, and all of it out of that guy, Ken Danielson was his name. Um, and he was, he loved us to death. There were three or four of us, man. I am the second person to become an athletic trainer from that university. Oh, really? Um, so it was just a, it was just a, it wasn't much to the, the career, right? It was just budding. Now it has just blossomed into cool stuff. But then the education system was very loose. If you wanted to spend, you had to, you had to get 1500 hours of care before you sat for the national exam. But that was, there was no mandate. That could certainly be 1,500 hours of folding towels, filling coolers, mm-hmm. mopping floors. Stuff. You know what I'm saying? You yep. just had to be there. And then get lucky and pass the test. And now you're claiming medical care for 120 kids. So it's changed immensely in a good way. Growing pains as long as it has changed. But it was cool to, to be able to sit there and watch it. Um, uh, finished baseball. Uh, got into athletic training. I didn't know what I was going to do when I was going to graduate. And my, Ken Danielson, the phone rings and he says, Hey, Toby, this person wants to speak with you. And so I walked to the phone and it is, uh, Joe Farmer, an athletic trainer at Furman University. And it is a hundred percent where Ken had set it up, where I was sitting in that room. And that guy says, Hey, Toby, uh, <laughs> I love this guy to this day too, but old school athletic training, you know, Hey, Toby, uh, we got a job open at Furman, would you be interested in it? And and at that point, I never even really considered. I, I didn't know I didn't know how to proceed, right? I'm not a person and set and, and bad character trait of me. I'm probably not somebody that's just digging and clawing and seeing what's next. I'm probably just taking what's coming. And and thankfully the good Lord is 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 mapped stuff out for the most part. Um but at that time I don't know what I would have done if that guy wouldn't have called on that phone. But end up at Furman University, did my grad work there. And then uh, this guy in the dugout calls while I'm at Furman at the end of my second year. Says he misses you. He hasn't seen you there for a while. <laughs> hasn't seen you in a minute. But he also says, I'm, I'm retiring. I am I'm going to be, honest to goodness, a missionary on an Indian reservation in Minnesota. And wondering if you'd want my job. And James, I was a kid, man. I was, however old you are, fresh out of grad school, 22 three or something, I'm not, you know, a kid. And my first job was a head athletic trainer at a small college. And I had no business getting that job. And knock on wood, thank the good Lord, uh, it, things panned out fine. But that I've been in the college system since uh, and have spent near my lifetime once I left home uh, on a college campus in one place or another. Amazing. Now, I want to compare and contrast because – I had a, and I've asked this question to a lot of people. When I first moved to America, the system I came from was there were professional sports. Football really was the only sport that you could make 
a really good amount of money and that was obviously the elite few there was, there was the farm you know leagues i guess you'd say and the kids would go off to to these special camps you know if they had their natural talent but what was amazing is everyone else played sports in school to a very kind of moderate level yes, but sir. what i saw culturally is that people then kept playing sports after it could be throwing you know two sweaters down in a park and making goals yes sir but i remember you know teenager post um high school still playing with my mates there's there's pub leagues and local leagues and all this stuff cricket and rugby and and then when i moved to america literally it was like the same uncle rico story over and over again i could have should have would have if it wasn't for my acl my you know whatever you know shoulder surgery insert injury here and these are people that are probably late 20s early 30s now and I'm like, well, when did you get hurt? Oh, I was 18, I was 19, I was 20. And so my first impression was like, what the fuck are they doing to kids in this country Right. that is, you know, destroying them before they even get to really start reaching their physical pinnacle? Yes, so sir. what did the actual training look like when you were a baseball player? And then what have you seen as far as the metamorphosis of the understanding of performance versus wellness in our youth athletes today yeah uh you know i I probably could speak better in in a football world i have spent the most of my time in medicine in a football world to me baseball is almost a little old school when i was there was honestly there was a time where we lost a game to a conference team we shouldn't have lost and our head coach got us on the field and says hey i tell you what if you have something that says erskine college on it I want you to throw it in the middle of the field because you don't deserve to wear it. So we had dudes down to jocks and sliding shorts, no shirts on. All right, boys, you're running until I'm not embarrassed anymore. And here we go, running around the field after a game. Well, interestingly enough, the NCAA would make a rule soon after that you couldn't run. You couldn't get punishment run after a game, right? And so that kind of stuff, as far as baseball goes, baseball's always been semi-controlled probably. You know, it's a, it is a, it's a real gentleman sport. In, in my mind, the football world is where the evolution has happened, right? There was, there was a day, James, where toughness ruled. And I'm, I don't think it was best for the kids, you know, but there was a day where let's put a pad here, let's put a pad here, let's put kids in between it and, and let's blow a whistle and let's see who survives. And you really make tough people in those environments. You really do. But some of those people don't survive that environment, right? I mean, you go and crash head against head, and it is going to do something. I, I'm holding my cell phone, right? And that's it. I drop my cell phone, and, and, and I'm not sure what's going to happen. I may pick it up, and it'd be fine, but I may pick it up, and all of a sudden, app A or B doesn't work, or my screen doesn't work, or my flashlight doesn't work. And sometimes, to me, that's, that's the brain. You take somebody's brain, and you smack it hard enough, and I'm not real sure. It's so complex. Maybe they can think well. Maybe they smile at jokes. But in the back of their mind, they, they can't process anything. And, and, and I have, you know, I've had dads walk in my office and say, uh, Toby, um, ever since kickoff A, uh, my son's been a different person. And, and, and that's hard, man. You know, that's, uh, it, it's hard to see. We're supposed to help kids grow up. And it, and I got it. That's what we're supposed to do. But there needs to be some, uh, and I feel like times have changed, but, but there needed to be some change because it was just, 
hey, if you're tough, you're going to play. You're going to survive this drill, and we'll see you on Saturday, and we'll win some games with you. Uh, and then I think over time, it's really swayed hard. Now everybody's potentially got an agent, and everybody's got a – you know, it's, it's swayed a lot. But it's still a tough game. Uh, but I, I do think, man, some good changes have been made to implement. It, it was not uncommon to take a kid who wasn't very good athletic and just, hey, run from A to B. You got a 17-yard sprint, run it. And the guys who are good at tackling are going to tackle you. And and we would just tear people to pieces. And that that is uh, – that needed to change. And I, and I think, by and large, boy, it has for the good. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting. The other thing that I see as well, and this isn't just on school sports, this is on society at the moment, but you have, let's say, a very, very large child. I see you know, some of those kids that I don't know what the hell they're eating, but they're, they're 30 when they're you know 14. Yes, sir. But what an amazing brick wall that is for a defensive line. <laughs> but is that healthy for that child to tell them, keep eating? Keep eating. No, you're, 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 that's, that's awesome. So now you're 19, 20, 21. You washed out because, you know, you got slower or whatever happened, or you got hurt because of the, the weight on your joints. And now, now you're 200 pounds over where you need to be because you kept eating after you stopped. And that's another side of this that I see. Yeah, 100%. Right. And I don't know if it is like me and you, you and I will make excuses for whatever we'll make excuses for as humans, right? Um, you, could not come train at the gym. You're a busy dude, right? You you do a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. You are writing your second book, yeah. Yes. Uh, you you have a stunt career. You have former fire and rescue. All all this stuff. You are a guy that could say, "I'm not going to drive 45 minutes to train today, and then 45 minutes back to the house." So some of that sometimes I feel like is on me. As an 18 year old who got hurt, I just buy the propaganda that you're I'm washed up. I just buy the propaganda that, oh, I can't do this. Well, it turns out maybe maybe you could. And maybe it takes you and me, some old heads, that are that are still doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it takes us sitting there saying, hey, you know what? Ron didn't start jujitsu. <laughs> He's eight years in, 62 years old. Mm-hmm. You do the math. Yep. If that guy, that guy should have decided, I'm too old. The whole United States of America would have told him, bro, sit back. Mm-hmm. Right? How are you going to take your meds if you're on the on the mat? <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and so I think sometimes it's propaganda based. You know, it is just as what we're preaching. Hey, OK, you're washed up. You, you don't you had your day. You had your Uncle Rico. Um, so don't buy it because it's not true. Right. And, and that whole thing on should you do jujitsu or should you not? Should you do exercise or should you not? I'm going to do X, Y and Z uh, and get in certain shape before I go. Right, bad, bad, bad school of thought. Just go, man. Right, just just do it, irregardless. There are people who are wearing the black belt that don't have arms and legs and uh, just make up their mind to overcome. So that that's, I think, our message is don't listen to all the you can't do it because mm-hmm. maybe you kill it, you know. I just shared a video of a Haitian man who's 83 and he's talking about, yeah, I could you know, let my kids start looking after me, but he's like, but then you're reliant on someone else. So it was part, not even so much pride. It was like ownership. Um, but this man was ripped and he had abs, but not in a bodybuilding way in a, I can provide for my family type way. And yes, it was sir. just like this, this is what age should look like. 
not you know what 40 looks like here yes sir no 100 percent. yeah I, I listened to kenny's podcast uh, amazing by the way um just so real right so natural so cool to hear uh but ron is that guy for me too uh ron is ron chopiak uh i want to be that guy when i'm that age you know, that guy will wear my rear end out. Mm-hmm. I will, oh, he'll murder you if you give him a chance. <laughs> right? I will, I will go as hard as I can go against that guy. And, and some people, right? You, and you know the world. You, you, you fight with a guy that uh, walks in the door and you put on the brakes. Yeah. You are a certain amount of kind. You are a certain amount of forgiving. Right? That's, that's part of the game we play. Absolutely. Right? And, and, but there are, there's a group of people that I can go, I can just be a crazy person. Mm-hmm. arms and legs flinging everywhere and i can't do a thing in the world with them you know yeah and, and and ron's that one of those special people man um god yeah wouldn't it be cool to be what he's done you know so he's a testament uh he's a he's a big he holds a high high place in my my heart absolutely well what about just going back to the school thing again yeah. one more area that's definitely become a truth that's come out of a lot of these conversations is the multi-sport athlete, it sounds like they tend to be a better performer down the road at the sport they choose, but also more resilient. And I see, you know, these young, young kids, they're playing through the school season, then they do travel ball and they're doing these like, you know, performance camps. Yes, sir. And then again, you've got, you know, mid-teens having, you know, slap tear surgery and all these things. So talk to me about that and, and the, from the parents perspective now yeah uh, it's interesting so from both of them uh, from the parents perspective I've got a kid uh, my decision is he's gonna do whatever right he's a lacrosse player he's a jiu-jitsu player he's a basketball player he's a soccer player right now that's that's his seasons and I want him to do something I want him to be active that's important to me but I'm not Hey, you really need to play lacrosse because this is important because of X, Y, and Z. Or, hey, you probably need to not play basketball this year because there's another lacrosse season in and you could get two lacrosse seasons. I 100% buy in. I think I need as many humans that have good insides to yell at my kid and coach my kid and bend my kid and, 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 and not a negative way implant on my kid what is good and what is bad. That I can't just leave it to one dude that, that coaches travel ball and high school ball and summer ball. Right. Uh, so from a parent perspective, I want as many experiences as that kid can have that he, that I'm not pushing him. I, I got to think as somebody who's got a, a kid in a jujitsu gym, um, it's a fine line. Right. I, I want, like, for example, today we're doing with this interview is set up and, uh, he has an afternoon appointment and all intents and purposes i probably should have left him at the house today right you probably should stay home because obviously i didn't take him home so hey he he won't have it is there anybody that uncle brad's not there today sorry uh and you start going anthony's not training today he lives by the house uh and and you just keep chasing it until he says hey you know finally okay let's ask mr ken (laughs) and so mr ken runs him home after so uh, I, I want, that's the, what I want. You know, I want him wanting to be there versus, Hey, you have to be here. You know how that is. It is exactly jujitsu. I pull you on your arm away from you. You pull it back. Mm-hmm. You can and help that, it. And that's where Ty was, was the other side right. where I was pulling him and he was just, you know, it's hard, right? Yeah, and he didn't want him. He, he enjoyed it for a long time, but 
he found running and yeah. that's his thing and i'm like i don't care what you do as long as you're doing something and you're passionate about it and that kid will get out in you know 100 degrees he's like yeah i've got to run three miles today and then yes, off sir. he goes yeah so and there's and there's power in that man right mm-hmm. so i so i agree with you i mean if i think jujitsu is cool but uh i want you to do whatever you want to do um on the medical side yes yes sir we it, it, the single sport athlete uh, has overuse injuries. That's the way it is. That's the way it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It is hard to get around that. And is that the parent's fault? Is that the coach's fault? I'm unsure. Probably we all have a, a play in it. Is it the medical people's fault? You know, are we not preaching this thing hard enough? Uh, but in the parent role, am I was Toby was a bad baseball player. And this kid has got a little better genetics. This kid knows a little more about sports performance. Can this kid redeem my bad career? Am I living vicariously through my child? Exactly. So I tell you what, you're going to be a baseball player, right? That That's a bad avenue. As a coach, well, it turns out they got to make some money too, James, right? So uh, I make 3000 bucks to coach the high school team. I'm a teacher. I make some, uh, get a stipend to be the high school baseball coach, but I can charge every one of your kids 600 bucks. For a summer travel season. And obviously that's going to go to some fees, but I'm going to eat off that a little bit. Well, guess what? I, let's do a winter season. Let's do a, you know, you start supplementing all this stuff, maybe just off of dollars and cents. Probably all not a good environment. Uh, but so I, I kind of, uh, uh, I'm in tune with, with what you're thinking of. Uh, I think they should diversify. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing, and again, these are all coming from layman's eyes. I mean, I grew up in another country, so, but it gives you a kind of slightly different perspective. But with the travel ball thing, and again, I've had coaches, you know, make comments that, that are similar to what you've said so far. I'm probably going to mirror what you say next. But the other thing is take Florida. Say it is a baseball player. The notion that your team is so good that you can't find competition worthy in your state and you have to drive to other states, that just blows my mind. I mean, Florida especially. Like, we have some of the best baseball players on the planet in this state. So to charge children and then drag them hundreds and hundreds of miles, to I just it doesn't make any sense to me. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm with you. I think there is something. There could There is a potential. It's like... It's like playing a sport. It, it, there, there's a potential for really cool experiences, right? Uh, I had a buddy just took his kid to uh, New York for a Cooperstown baseball kid tournament. And, man, I think if you're a kid and you get to go down there and play on those fields and be with your buddies and stay in a hotel for a week, there's some cool experiences there. Uh, so some of that's cool and warranted. Uh, but you really have to be careful on how – how much shredding can you do on a kid's labrum? You know, the, how many pitchers are on that team? Well, there may be three or four, but how many are good? Mm-hmm. Well, there may be one. And some people have really done a great job of, of you mentioned baseball earlier, pitch counts is, is a place baseball has changed, you know, and, and that's positive. Uh, but, I mean, still, if we're going to win or, or, or we're going to lose, are we going to potentially, uh, I don't know, let's throw Let's throw a couple more innings. I forgot to <laughs> to make those marks on those pitches, you know. So I I think it could be done well, but it seems like it, we're not doing a great job at it. Yeah. Okay. So I went to 
University of North London did sports science and fitness evaluation, it was called, and then finished my degree years, years later. Just I still haven't picked up the piece of paper yet, but really? uh, I have the degree from UF. Um, I probably should. Um, I, I was late paying my final payment, so uh, yeah, I, awesome. never, <laughs> I never swung by to get the actual diploma or degree. But um, so it's been interesting from you know when I really got into the education side, the mid nineties to where we are now. And just as a perfect example, in, in in the pre-hospital world, the backboard was hailed as everything. And then now we look at it and like, it does absolutely nothing. And there's no research to support it. And it's uncomfortable and it puts you in a bad position to breathe, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then in the kind of PT, you know, musculoskeletal world, you start hearing, okay, what used to be rice. And now they're like, actually, ice is bullshit. <laughs> so... What I'd have to see is what what were some of the things that were kind of preached as gospel in your early athletic training career that fast forward 20 years, we've started to find it just a better way. Because you could only do with the knowledge you had back then, I understand. But, you know, progress is progress. It, it, and I don't know that it is. It, it's, it's, it's immense. Right. I think you are. You are going to the, the day you think you have this medicinal sports medicine figured out is the day you're getting beat. Right. The day you think, you know, we, we preach that nonstop. You got to trust the process. You got to trust how you do things. You can't trust yourself. You know what I'm saying? The second you start trusting yourself that, Oh, that I've got this figured out. You're going to get beat. Uh, the, the stuff has changed is uh, unbelievable. The spine boards, a big shout out. Mary Beth Hordusky, who works in this building, every spine board paper that the National Athlete Training Association has put out. This lady has done the research on it. And so a lot of the Florida state laws even uh, have been molded and, and shaped. And you bring up spine boards. I think uh, – I don't know if it's a worthy topic or not. Uh, it interests me. No, please. Because um, it is pertinent to the, the EMS side. Uh, the very good, right? So uh, in my world, I'm still going to have a spine board on my sideline. The, the bad of the spine board is exactly what you said. Take the 250-pound person who gets pinned in a car who doesn't have a cervical spine injury, doesn't have a spine injury, and protocol is to put that person on a backboard and take them to the ED and stick them in a hallway and they're conscious and they can talk. Well, guess what? When you get to that ED, your your, your uh, hierarchy starts scooting down the limb because there's a lot of folks walking in that door that can't talk and can't complain and they're fighting for their life. So you're exactly 100% right. That person's going to stay on that spine board for a long time, and they're going to leave that hospital in worse shape than when they went, right, with with bed sores and with uh, back problems by trying to stay on that board. So that's not the place for a spine board. I think there's places in my world a, a linebacker runs through the line, ducks the head, stumbles, and hits a dude's thigh and, and loses arms and legs. We probably need to spine board that guy, right? There, there's a there's a time and place, but it, it, it was just a protocol, I think, that got us beat for so long. And that certainly changed in our environment. Even spine boarding has changed a lot uh, in, in process, right? You and I probably a long time ago log roll the person, you know, and their head's just going everywhere. And and, and now, guess what? It, it makes Mary Beth Ordusky has stuck the, the probes in the, uh, you know, in the cadavers to sit there and say, if you just pick the person up and slide the board under them, guess what? Their spine doesn't move as much. You know, that kind of stuff is, is, has changed over time immensely. Um, concussions, James, uh, I'm old enough that I had a dude that was knocked out. And when the, uh, halftime was over, he hit, he could, you know, 
respond to me. He could quote me back some stuff, and he was ready to play in the second half. That's how old we are. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, you're back up? You're okay? Let's get you in there then. And it wasn't a football scenario, but it doesn't matter, right? The cell phone's broke, man. <laughs> you know, it's it, it, those things have to heal. And 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 forever we we mucked that up. We didn't do a great job with concussions. Forever, we've gotten much better. We still have no clue what we're doing. We, it's still, this is evolving on the daily. Jay Cluxton's on this campus. Uh, another cool dude that is at the forefront of concussions. Um, very few people have spent as much time researching. Uh, you know, everything, James, from MRIing brains, uh, when they're active, when they're not. Just look at blood flow. Look at changes. There's so many things. We used to think for a bit that the gold standard was a, a cognitive testing type thing. And it is huge because I can look the part. I can walk down from the, the, uh, the locker room and I can smile and I laugh at jokes and I drink Gatorade and I mess around with my buddies, but my brain doesn't work. So that, so there's a cognitive piece there that you got to make sure that works. Right. And so over time, we've just figured out that we don't know. <laughs> and, and we really need to be especially careful with brains because the, the PTSD, it, it is real in your line of work. It is real in military. It's real in football. It's real in these contact sports. It's real in MMA. It's not just secluded. You take the brain and you hit it and you shake it and you bounce it around and, and there are repercussions. And so now we're just recouping. How do we get that person as normal as we can get them? You know, um, heat has changed a lot, right? Uh, it was just that you weren't tough. We'll just keep going. Right. That, that's the scenario, man. Y'all are going to run until I'm not embarrassed anymore. Y'all are going to run until I'm, I feel okay about the, your poor performance. Well, when kids die on a field, that's real. Right. That, that that's what, and, and God forbid, man, but it shouldn't take. And we both got kids, so it's a sensitive deal, right? But it should not take some dude dying on a field for us to care about taking care of our kids. Oh, well, we messed it up this time. Let's fix it now. That's, that's some bull crap, mm-hmm. right? In the state of Florida, that's what it took, right? The Zach Martin Act, right? In the state of Florida has made the state of Florida make some changes. And it took a, a beautiful kid going down on a field, and not surviving a heat incident for us to say we're going to make some changes. Now, the state of Florida has done a jam-up job on making some changes. And, man, I am proud to see that, right? That that has evolved immensely, James. Now, in the high school system, there is a cold tub sitting on within distance to get a kid in it in any outdoor event. That's in the past two or three years, though. Really? Yeah. When, when did Zach die? Uh, I want to uh, Zach Martin I, I probably went in three years ago. I, I don't know that it wasn't uh, put into place in 20 and then mandated January 1, 21 or something okay, like that. So, pretty great, yeah. so, so it, had, it went in and uh, gave them some people some time to get some supplies. But I think probably January of 21 is when, okay, we're done. If, if X, Y, and Z is, if you're outside, we used to have some regulations that would be based on wet bulb globe temperature and, and give some people some wiggle room. Well, then you could set it up. Well, guess what, James? People die when it's cool outside, right? You take a kid. Uh, one of my 
more combative heat strokes was at five in the morning on a kid coming back from summer, right? Back in the day, kids didn't stay on campus all summer. So they went home and did whatever. They sat indoors. They sat in air conditioning. They didn't train. But if they would come make their 110 run test, 15 110s, if they would make their time of running 15 consecutive 110 yards, uh, then they would get out of some of the conditioning ahead during camp. And so this kid shows up. It's five in the morning. He hasn't been doing anything. And 110 number 11 eats it. And it is 70 some degrees outside. So to sit there and say, well, we're just going to put the cold tank out when it's, when it's hot, you're still going to lose some people. And, and grace of God back then, we were, right? There's a, there, there's a mantra of people that are doing the right thing. And it wasn't that we thought, oh, we should, maybe we should have a cold tank out here. But another cool dude, Doug Casa, a University of Florida grad. Uh, the, in my mind, the world's leader in heat illness preparedness. Uh, Corey Stringer Institute, have you heard of that? No. So Corey Stringer was a Minnesota Vikings football player that had a heat stroke and died on a field. Okay. And his wife, uh, his wife wanted to make good of a bad deal. And so she started this foundation. Doug Casa had a heat stroke himself running in a marathon. Doug Casa is an athletic trainer by trade up at UConn and thought, this has got to be happening more than just me, who's a trained runner. He's This dude can go, right? And he just went a little too much, messed with his nutrition a little too much or whatever. Temperature's just right. Dehydrated just right. Whatever. There's not this perfect potion. Whatever that day has a heat stroke, survives it, but thinks, okay, we, we have to do some things different. And so that has, I bought onto that early. And luckily on that particular day, however many years ago, I got a cold tank sitting there. The brain. Is it okay if we talk about this right now? No. Right? Go whatever uh, you want, please. Uh, the, the, the brain, you cook the brain and the brain doesn't work. Right? You, you, you are more or less heating up the core completely. These kids are getting 104, 105, 106 degrees. And, he, and here's my beef. You go and then the hypothalamus. Some would say, again, these are the people that uh, aren't doing orthopedic medicine, right? Because I, I can't quite get to the hypothalamus, so it doesn't compute exactly. But in my mind, I'm told the hypothalamus is a temperature control of the brain. And so if you will tell the hypothalamus to cool the body, if you stick a – there was an industry of this stuff, James. Stick stick the hand in a, in a cold environment, and the hypothalamus will cool. Take a cold-based IV and stick it in. And the hypothalamus will respond. The hypothalamus is broke. Okay, mm. so if you depend on this, that that that, and that has changed in our care. So going and ta- and it was a battle, man. It was a fire and rescue battle, right? Fire and rescue. The phone rings, the call is made, and the clock starts. And your job is to get in the hospital, yeah. and you're going to log how fast can you get that kid there, and you're going to win or lose based on did you get the care there the kid there fast or not. In my world. I have to cool the kid. And so all of a sudden, I'm Toby's trying, wait a minute, what are you doing? You're taking that kid and you're sticking him in that cold tank and t- and take a brain that isn't working. I know you've seen it. Maybe not in a heat-related incident, but you take the right environment and you pull the brain, set it to the side where, the, where it can't operate, and they're wild animals. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. The, 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 what the body will pull off at that point is, is kind of interesting. The strength that they have, too. It's out of control. 
right? And so you take this defensive back, or that's probably not a good choice, but this particular situation, a linebacker, and you try to stick him in that cold tub, this wild body that can't think, that thinks, you're trying to drown me. I'm dying. I don't know what's going on. And you try to get them in that cold tub. And if you just defer it, oh, sorry, that was uncomfortable. Come on out. They're going to die. If that temperature gets to 105, you have 30 minutes. You have 30 minutes to get their temperature down. And, and in the fire and rescue world, in the military world, and all those in the sports world, man, I, I couldn't preach that enough. Here, here's the deal. Uh, if, if I'm out there and I think this is bullcrap, go to the Corey Stringer Institute. All the, all the research is sitting right there. James, uh, I use this one a lot. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not a good dad 90% of the time. Are you? As much as I try, I'm sure, effective-wise, no. I mean, but 90 would be cool. Mm-hmm. I'm really honestly not. It's 10 o'clock at night. I know my kid's awake. I should go in there and spend time with him. I'll tell you what, I'm going to sit my rear end in this chair, yeah. and I'm going to fall asleep in this chair. And if he comes in here, then he does. But, right, 90% of the time, uh, that would be a high mark for me. Nearly nothing in life is 90%. Right? Not much. Taxes, dying. But there ain't a lot of 90 percenters. 100% of the time, James, 100% of the time, 100% of the people that have had a 105 or higher with CNS disturbance, 100% of those people that have had their core temperature cooled in a 30-minute time limit have survived. Wow. It's, it's hard to combat that. And so where are those numbers from? Well, think of the Boston Marathon. Think of all these marathons. Think of the Gainesville Marathon however many years ago. Uh, we had a, a situation where th- this is one of those places, man. This is not a great environment for an untrained runner. Mm-hmm. Right? For, oh, I mean, it's brutal here. For Ty, who, who trains in that environment, he would probably come to one of those half marathons, marathons, and thrive. But think of this environment. We have a educated environment, but probably not a steady training environment, right? A lot of those people have bought the propaganda, and they got hurt when they were 18, and so they're done running. But what are they going to do? Well, uh, out of Celebration Point, they're having a marathon. Let's go do that. A Disney marathon. I got to be the medic on a lot of those. <laughs> exactly, right? And so in that environment, those people go down, and, and we need to do a better job of taking care of those people. But in, in where the conflict comes is your job is to get them to the hospital. My job is to cool their core temperature. So if me and you wait until summer conditioning and the thing goes down, then you're trying to pull them out of the tub while I'm trying to keep them in the tub. Can I talk a second for, about temperature? Talk whatever you want. Right? The, the, the only way I think it's worth getting out there, and because I think it's uh, there was a day when it was a battle, and I think it's still a battle, but the only way is, a, is to get a core temperature is with a rectal thermistor. Okay? Literally taking six inches of a, te- of a temperature probe and get it inside the core. Well, that's messy to people. Well, it's not messy to you. But you know what's messy too? It's messy to athlete trainers. I got my tie on. I got my sweater vest on. I'm talking to parents about ankle sprains and about shoulder injuries. But all of a sudden, I got to pull someone's pants down, spread their bottom cheeks, and, and insert a probe. It's embarrassing. Or it's, uh, I, I'm going to. Uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. Right? But, but here's your choices. Right? Go back to Doug Casa. Doug Casa is going to be sitting in that courtroom. James, okay? He's going to be sitting there. <laughs> Sorry. Don't apologize, mate. This is raw emotion. When that kid doesn't survive the incident, the world's leader in, in heat illness is going to be sitting in that courtroom. Exactly. 
and, and let your defense be, I was uncomfortable. I was embarrassed. Well, it was a high school kid, so I didn't, I, I didn't really want to embarrass him. Obviously, I say that out loud, and that can't make sense. But, but, but there's still athlete trainers fighting principles over it. Because, well, you can't pull. It is the gold standard of care. They're going to die if we don't do this. Well, we do it to um, infants. We do a rectal temp. That's exactly. funny. But then for, for children slash adults, we'll do one in the ear. Right. And, and I would tell you, minimally ever close to its core temperature. You know what I'm saying? And that's where some people get beat. Let's do a temporal. Let's do all this stuff. We bought the world for a while of, of in, you know, inject, ingesting core temperature, right? The gun, you've seen those little things? Yeah. You ingest a little pill and, and see somebody's core. Well, well what, if they, what if they go to the bathroom? You know, or, or whatever, and it's, go, it's out. Their body temp's 57. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, this guy's doing great. Um, so th- that's one of the big areas that I have seen. It's still a battle, right? I've, I've been in meetings very recently where administrators are like, nope, we're not doing that here. Well, let me, that's, that's fine, but this is what you're saying. You're saying you care more about the brief moment of embarrassment that this person who's dying will never remember. You care more about that than you care about saving that kid's life. Because 100% of the time, if you get their core temperature down to 101.5 and you pull them out of that pool, they'll survive. Mm-hmm. It's hard to beat that. And, and, and it's, it's my wife's family. I married into a beautiful fire and rescue family. Uh, can I brag on them for a second? No, please brag away. Uh, my, my wife's grandfather, Jimmy Dowling, was chief of rescue in Jacksonville. Okay, I have attended stuff where they said, hey, this was the guy who started rescue in Jacksonville. Pretty cool. His son-in-law, my wife's dad, uh, was a captain of rescue. My sister-in-law just took her captain's test for rescue. No, for fire. She's on the fire side. Um, So uh, I'm passionate about that world. Um, I have my sister-in-law is active right now. Sister-in-law and a puppy active right now. Um, and I, I, with my father-in-law being, he, he was at the education center in Jack's for a long time. And so, um, you know what you go through. Put the bunker gear on, set the tank on fire, let's go. And there's some people that almost don't survive that. And James, there's some people who don't survive it. Mm-hmm. Well, and even forget the fire. That's the thing that's what people don't understand. Put the gear on. And just work an extrication out yeah. in the Florida sun. Put yes. the gear on and stand and guard a, a broken gas main in full gear in the California sun. Put the gear on and climb 28 floors to a hotel in Orlando or Disney or wherever before you even start work. <laughs> the exertion and the inability to offset heat right. is brutal. And it's, that's the thing I always, I never had anything on the fire ground that physically was too much for me. Yes, sir. But the heat was always the thing that beat the hell out of me yes sir and, and so if, if i could if i could spread a good word it would be with the military it would be with fire and rescue there's some military settings right that that navy base uh in in virginia beach uh there's an athletic trainer on that base right they have gone and, and made every so many feet there's a cold tub out there that's the dan neck is that right i'm sorry i couldn't I know if I got that right or not but anyway, i know that's that's one maybe i've got a buddy there. that works out there couldn't even tell you the name of it i'm sorry um but uh, they have sat here and said, okay, 
If we have a heat stroke that goes down, a real-life heat stroke, we're going to be able to cool these people. We're not going to lose people in this environment. And, and I think that's a stand that needs to be made. I feel like in high school and college sports, it's still it's not perfect, right? There's still kids who die. Sully and I talk about this as early as this morning. If you don't, if you do everything right, you're a dude to me. You strike me as a dude that works hard to do everything right. And, and it impresses the heck out of me. And I appreciate you. Um, but stuff goes wrong, James. <laughs> right? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> you, you work your rear end off to do stuff right and stuff still goes wrong. Imagine not trying. Right? Sully, this morning, we were doing a little, uh, what do you call this? Uh, a pet deck or something? A fly machine? Oh, yes. Right? Yeah, so yeah. He, he's on the fly machine, and, and we got a rule. We're not making any noise in the weight room. We're not going to be those people that are, ha, and throwing stuff down. And <laughs> we're just not. So old boy gets done. He's replacing his weights, and he trips. And it makes, you know, that much noise. And he's on alert. He's looking around to see if I, if I looked and to see what I'm going to say. Right. But here's the deal, man. If you're not trying and, and you just, and you trip that you can break weights, the whole peg deck's going to get broke. It's going to be a mess. But if you will try, th- then you're going to mitigate some of this stuff. So I, in my mind, in our system, we have, man, we may have now in the UF system, there may be 50 athletic trainers on this campus, right? In all worlds, in the cast room, uh, in the oncology service, in the joint service. Uh, in sports medicine, over at Rec Sports, all throughout the UAA. If we will try, we'll win some of these battles. We don't try. We let embarrassment rule. We let uncomfortability rule, and 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 we'll lose kids. Now, what about in the pre-hospital world? The the cooling, you know, options really that were given to us in the back of rescue were pretty much clothing removal. And then, you know, we have not, not even ice pack. We have coal packs, yes, you know, sir. The, the chemical ones. Yes, sir. You know, under the armpits. Yes, sir. In the groin. Yes, I mean, sir. You know, what other, and an AC, of course, cranking the AC. Yeah. If, if it works in that rig, I've had many that didn't. <laughs> um, pre-hospital, are there any things either that we can do there or that we can ask the athletic trainers for before we actually leave that maybe you guys would have that we wouldn't? Yeah, so in, in my world, if, you, if, a, if a rescue is showing up to one of our schools, then there is a cold tub if people are outside. Okay. If people have the opportunity to be participating outside, there's a cold tub available. So we'd be better off staying on scene, leaving the patient there with you initially monitoring vials. A hundred percent. Here's what happens, James, is, is you, you guys are on the timer. So we sit in this room and have these conversations. What, what rescue wants to do, and that's what they're charged to do. So if we don't have the conversation and we don't have a relationship, then this is a fail. Okay, because you're charged to get the kid and get him to the hospital and press the button. You made it. This is how long it took, right? I'm trying to talk you into, hey, let's just let him stay in the tub for a little bit. We've had instances. This is a very good example of how to get beat. Well, I'm embarrassed to take a core temperature. Okay, I'm embarrassed to take it. So let's just put him in the cold tank. Then you get there. We make the call. Hey, we got an emergency. Let's get this person taken care of. You get there. And what am I basing my care on? I don't have a temperature. James, the research is there, man. Somebody's got a 105. They got CNS to Sunson. They have a heat stroke. If you will set them in that cold tub, about one degree per three minutes. So think of that weight. And, and what, you as a rescue are just going to sit there and take my word on it by us looking at this guy? 
But if I have a temperature probe and I can show you that it's 102.5 and I can say, James, give me three more minutes in this tub. Give me three more minutes in this tub and then you get that kid in the hospital. And when this thing's over, I mean, you're going to win an award. <laughs> you know, I mean, and if I can have that conversation with you on the front end, man, you can't you 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 are trained to get that person to the hospital. We can't be having it there specifically if you don't have a core temperature. I have no basis. And then when you get beat is what if you're wrong, man? You take a cardiac event that looks like a heat stroke because of what you looked at in a textbook when you were a young person. And, and, and sometimes they could potentially mirror and you take that cardiac event and you stick that thing in the hot tub or in the cold tub. You're making this thing a lot worse. And then me try to discuss, well, we should leave them in there for a few more minutes. They'll start shivering at some point. It's all bull crap. Get a rectal temperature, and then you have something to base care on. Have the conversation ahead of time. And at 101.5, you pull that kid out of the tub, 100% of those people survive. See, that's so important here. I, I worked, my last department covered Disney. And so we had uh, wild, wild World of Sports when I was at Station 2 there. Um, and so you think of all the teams, the cheerleading, <laughs> I mean, you name it, everything is there. And they had athletic trainers and, and they, yeah. I think it really depended on the crew, but yes, the, the potential for a good relationship with the athletic trainers was there. But, you know, you take that arrogant paramedic, then all and of the a sudden. And the arrogant athletic trainer. Mm -hmm, exactly. Perfect storm for, for, you know, someone leaving with, with life-threatening, you know, conditions. Yeah. It, it, right. So you, then all of a sudden, the only thing we're doing is we're hurrying up and getting them to the hospital so that they can die there instead of on my field. And, and, and that's, that's not a good outcome. Well, that's the same. I mean, I guess this kind of ties in. You see some of the, the uh, sudden cardiac arrests, you know, from the injuries with the uh, you know, pre-existing cardiac arrhythmias that some of these young yes, athletes sir. have. But that was the thing that I watched change in my career as a EMT and then paramedic was initially the kind of load and go mentality to understanding. I mean, you know, this is, this is a profession that can stick needles in your chest. that can cut a hole in your throat, you know, that, <laughs> yes, that deals with all these things. So I'm just letting these people actually function and doing a full code on someone before moving them. Right. I mean, I've seen, you know, the, the attempt at compressions going downstairs and through hallways and, and it's just, it's not, real cpr exactly but it takes courage to say as the lead paramedic we are going to stay here to, yes, to cool this patient to yes, work sir. you know three rounds yes sir of, of drugs and cpr and then we'll reassess and then we'll either take them or we might actually call it and I, one of my favorite protocols in orange county was the asystole protocol if it had capnography of this and um you know you'd pushed i think it was three rounds and, and you did everything and there was no change you had the permission to just say, look, we've done as the same exact thing as they do in the ER. Yes, sir. We gave this person every chance, but yes, they're, they're gone. They're deceased. Yes, I'm sir. not going to take this corpse and fill up an ER bed, which I, in my last place, I had people order me to do. People with bugles <sighs> on their chest. Yeah. And I got to the ER and told the doctor, hey, I literally brought you a corpse. They doppled the heart and they were like, fuck. Yep, he's dead. You know, and it wasn't for lack of trying. We worked him all the way there, but right. no, there sir. is times 100%. as a medic where that's the extreme example. You don't yeah. bring a dead person, but there's there's another area where sometimes working that person on scene, trauma obviously is not one of them, but a lot of you know medical conditions. Taking that time to to put interventions in place will not only 
set you up for success with the patient, but also for the receiving center. Yes, you know, sir. you take the time to get the tube and, and you know, some IVs. 100%. That might get them straight to, you know, a CT or, you know, whatever it is that they need after cath lab, etc. Yes, sir. I, I, 100%. The relationship, and that's life, but the relationship uh, is has to be built. You know, we... we we have done a poor job as an athletic training field, right? There is an opportunity to start a football game and for the, this athletic trainer to never have spoken to this athletic trainer, to never have spoken to that EMS crew who is in the in their truck in the corner of the end Overtime zone. Overtime position. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's that's poor medicine. What, what is it ego? Is it willing not willing to be uncomfortable for 30 seconds and meeting a new person? We, we're probably – Pretty similar. For a living, you gave your life to take care of people. Guess what I did? Right? And we're not calling it the same thing, but that's what we're doing. And so it turns out, you might be the coolest dude I've ever met. If I would just get off my rear end and walk to the corner of the end zone. So now, again, part of this, uh, our policy procedure, now we have before game, X, Y, and Z, the SEC. Incredible. Right? They sit there and go and every, every invested partner is sitting in a room having a discussion here's where x-ray is here's what we do in this scenario the whole thing being gone over another thing i would harp on uh in in my world and it plays into yours is uh coach napier uh just came here to the university of florida right and if coach napier the spring game i use that as an example the spring game is a testing ground maybe he's been here for a couple of months at that point he has in- instituted a playbook he has uh, shown the kids some stuff. We're going to see what Coach Napier is about at a spring game, right? And if at that spring game he stands up and says, I tell you what, guys, uh, we got this big playbook, but we're not going to practice it. We're not going to study it. Um, but I tell you what, I bet we're going to show out at that spring game. And I bet the community is really going to get behind us, right? We'd get, we'd get him out of here. we think this isn't our guy. But that's exactly what my branch of of – and sometimes it, it's it's whole it, it descends everything. It's police, it's fire. But sometimes we 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 build all these policies and procedures and we practice none. Right? We we don't go through. I mean, how think of the, I'm, we got, we're in a building with four levels of it with all different varieties of medical care. And James, uh, these four people, these four MAs, these four, this team of medical providers, they work together every day. And if I walked in the room and I said, James, tell me of you four, who's going to get the AED when it's time to get it? I'd be interested to hear how many would say, oh, that's James's job. He's going to get it. Right. And you think of your environment. You've had probably had those people you've worked with where adrenaline, epinephrine, all that stuff hits their brain and they become these tunnel vision people. Oh, yes. Right. Had to grab some by the scruff <laughs> and get them to calm down. Right. Yep. And so my, mine and your goal is to get AED on a patient in three minutes. And it's nobody's job. How fast will three minutes go by while we're looking at this patient? And then we sit here and say, wait a minute, where's AD? I, I bring that up because in, in that SEC football world, right, on a Saturday, uh, for a kid to get carted off a field, right, Matt, the sports PA, has gone and, and cranked a gator. And he's got one set of keys, right? Well, it happened at Pittsburgh this past season where they go to get the gator and the gator's gone. Right. At some point, it happened on this campus. The Gator, the little machine to cart off the patient, uh, the patient is tooling around campus somewhere with some uh, inebriated student. 
Oh, right? God. <laughs> and so, so now protocol is crank one, crank two, crank three. Same thing in your world. If, if that EMS truck leaves, there's another one sitting right there that's pulling straight in. And they say two is one, one is none. Exactly. So if we, if we make all these great positive procedures and we practice nine, I don't know how much better we've done. Yeah, you know, well, it can. I think a lot of it comes from from box checking and, and yes, cover, cover your ass mentality. 100%. Yes, sir. Well, we had it in the procedure, so therefore it's not our fault. Versus, yeah. well, let's cut that SOP book down by two thirds. Talk about principles and let's actually practice those principles. Yes, sir. That's brilliant. Um, I could not agree more. I just think sometimes we. Your your statement is exactly on it. It's covering your rear end. But you're still going to get beat. You know, if you're not practicing those things, it's not going to hold up. Well, we wrote it down. Well, you didn't do it. You know, and so I think on, on my end of medicine, I think we're charged with, man, we, we got to really get good at this stuff. Um, so I think it's another place. You know, so it's vast changes over time. Well, I mean, it's what an amazing conversation so far. I want to shift from the kind of student world to the you know, the, the kind of I guess civilian and also the tactical professions. I've had it again, you know, lived experience on a back injury that they wanted to throw pills and surgery at that I ended up, thank God, finding chiropractic and foundation training and then just going back in the gym with a PVC pipe and working my way back up. Um, great surgeries on meniscus tears because um, we're in a profession that doesn't sleep every third day. So, you know, hey, news, <laughs> just kind of blow your mind now. If you don't sleep, you're going to get hurt. That's it. It's just a, it's a shoo-in. Um, but I also then have got to see great orthopedic surgeon that I used over and over again, Dr. Joe Locker in, in Ocala. But that's completely disconnected with the PT that you go to. And I had PT with a back injury as well. But I'm in a I'm in Florida. I'm in central Florida um, where there's a lot of retirees. So in that environment, even though there are great people working in those those places, they're used to rehabbing 80-year-old hip replacements sure. and, and those kind of things. So again, talk to me about, because you're in a very kind of progressive, you know, um, athletic-based facility here. Yes, sir. What is it that you guys do here differently with athletes, with tactical athletes that maybe is not being seen in a lot of the places that the listeners are being sent to after their surgeries or injuries? Yeah. I, so, so in one thing I would say this, that I, okay, uh, University of Florida is cool. I'm a young person and I'm in college and university. I'm trying to decide what I want to do for a living and I want to go work at what X, Y, and Z facility. Um, I would urge that person to make sure good people are in that facility. You know what I'm saying? That these walls will be the most oppressive things in your life. They can be nice and they can have cool gators painted on them. But if there aren't good people inside, it will kill your soul. So I would urge everyone, those kids listening right now to find a place that has cool walls and cool people inside. I feel like we're, this is a place where people are doing great sports medicine. Here's one thing I had never done in my life, James. I, th- when I went on my honeymoon, uh, was the first time that I had been on a plane where I didn't put the luggage on a plane in my life. Okay. Where I didn't physically stand out there and go with bags. Okay. So there was a period of my life, honestly, till we came here that we worked seven days a week, that we, uh, th- that was norm. And, um, and, and it's a service provided industry. Well, 1950, it's not really got us to where 
we have unions and we have people who will look out for us. So there are some people in my in, in my field that are literally burnt to a frizzle. It's, and and your world is hard on people. It is. Right? But but there's some stuff in place, but it's still hard on people. Our world has been hard on people. And so it, it over time it has chewed people up. That's been cool to change. What's cool about this place is is they want to here, here's what Toby is better. Toby is better when he sees patients two days a week. I can be the nicest dude in the world two days a week. Seven days a week, I get a little angsty. I get a little testy. You know what I'm saying? And and so this place allowed us to come in and do really cool sports medicine with really cool people. So first off, the people are, are the, in my mind, they handle their business well. They care about their patients. It could just be cool to be the football, the head football doctor for the Florida Gators in the SEC. That's a big position. But that dude loves me. That dude is my friend. And and he, when he walks in a room, man, uh, those patients know he cares for them. They know it does not matter that they're not the starting quarterback for the Florida Gators. They think, oh, this dude really wants me to go play pickleball. And I would say that to someone looking for a physician. If their answer is, well, stop doing what you're doing. Just stop. James, just stop doing jujitsu, man. How many people listening have heard that? I've heard that. If that's the answer, you need to go in a different room. You're in the wrong room. My job, that's lazy medicine. Of course. Does your knee hurt when you jog? Then, of course, stop jogging. But that didn't, that hurts people's souls. It's like someone getting a speeding ticket and then saying, "Well, you should just stop driving altogether." <laughs> That's exactly that. There's so speed. many. <laughs> there's so many uh, correlations with that. But but if, but that that's medicine sometimes. Okay, just stop the activity. But but you're sitting in the wrong room. I think our people here want you to do what you want to do. If you think that jujitsu is important, I think it is. If you think that pickleball is important, I'm not a great pickleball player. I've only played it a couple times. Honestly, before a month ago. I was feigning uh, excitement about pickleball. But <laughs> I'll tell you what, if you want to play pickleball, I can sense, I can look in your soul and see it's important, and I can buy in. And, and that's, that's the kind of people you want to take, take, do in your medical care. You talked about therapy. I think it's the same thing, man. And, and jujitsu, uh, to me, is, is transcendent of life, right? Nothing I have ever done is, is life as much as jujitsu. Right. But downstairs in that room, you and I just walked in, there are white belts. There are blue belts. There are purples. There's browns. There's blacks. And my job as a, as a provider is to make sure that James, you probably don't need to see a white belt in physical therapy. You honestly know more about physical therapy than that white belt does. You do. Right. That person's a brand new employee. They're a great person. They're going to learn. Somebody's going to come beside them and bring them along. And get them good at this profession. But my job is to say, okay, you need to be seeing this therapist. Because this dude's a black belt. And he's going to meet you where you need to be met. And he's also going to buy your thing. Because they have the realm too. If we're not singing the same song, this thing falls apart. You know, if we say, I tell you what, let's try therapy. Let's don't operate on this. You have a fringe meniscal tear. You had a bucket handle. There's fringe meniscal tears like a hangnail. And as long as you don't hit it hard and make it bleed, then guess what? You can still train jujitsu. 
because most of our game was not on our feet. And so if honestly, in my heart of hearts, here's my choices. I'm going to have my knee scoped and lose eight weeks off a French meniscal tear, or I'm going to keep training my rear end off. I'm going to keep training. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's okay to tell a patient that. Your bucket handle was completely different. You can't keep doing that. You're going to tear your knee to pieces. You're not going to be able to keep doing that. You need to have your knee scoped. There's a time and place, man. And I would say that to, to people looking for dogs also. You need to have somebody who's got the full range of thinking. You know, if, if, if every person that walks through the door is getting operated on, that's wrong. That's not how it, the numbers work. Realistically, not everything needs a surgery. And, and we tell, I tell my folks in, in the, at the gym, if somebody comes up to me and says, Hey, Toby, uh, I'm the head athletic trainer at BJJ Swamp Academy, right? Um, <laughs> if somebody comes up to me and says, uh, and I have a good assistant, uh, Brad Drake, uh, if, uh, if somebody comes up and says, Hey, X, Y, and Z is going on. My response is, if you must see a doctor, then you need to come to me and I'll get you to the right doctor. But I'll tell you what, bro, you need to run, right? Cause not every surgery is a home run. If you have to get something done like your meniscal tear, I got your guy. We're going to take the best care of you of anybody that can. And so I, I think it's a, it's a holistic system. That's a cool thing about this, this thing is we're here because Mike Moser, Kevin Farmer sat there and said, I'll tell you what, Toby, on a game day Saturday, right? It's the University of Florida, Arkansas, Florida are playing and we have a Florida kid that walks off the sideline, injures a knee. He more than likely will have an MRI done before the day's out. Worst case scenario, he doesn't feel like it, let's say. We'll probably get it the next day just because he doesn't feel like it that day, right? But by by Monday, this thing is we got results. We got a plan. This thing's ready to go. Well, we can do that for the UAA kid. Turns out we can do that for the high school kid. And so we have the, the, the ability to do that because we got a cohesive system. We got everybody, I think, heading in the right thing. And I think like with jujitsu. And like with medicine and like with fire and rescue, if somebody's not on board, boy, they stick out, right? If, if you go to the jujitsu gym and you got one person that's sitting over in the corner and won't train hard and won't get after it, they, they seem to stick out. And same thing in medicine, man. You know, if you, if you got somebody that isn't really looking out for the patient, they get picked out fast and, and they probably don't enjoy this environment. And so uh, I think that's, those are things that make this place really special. Well, we, you gave me a tour before we started. Um, and what struck me is there was one area you talked about. You would go there with the surgeon and the day after surgery, they would already be sitting there. So talk to me about firstly the importance of, I know it's a kind of buzzword prehab, but the, yeah, the, the physical, um, I guess ability or physical condition of a patient prior and how that factors in. And then, and then the, the, the speed post-surgery in which you need to start moving. Because it used to be old school, if I'm not mistaken, that there'd be a lot of resting, a lot of just, you know, leg up on a, <laughs> on a, on a, um, sling somewhere. But, but when I was referred to PT, those were two separate entities. So luckily I was a, a, my own advocate because of my background. I was able to be very aggressive with my workman's comp and everything. And be like, no, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. Yes, sir. And even at that place, because it was geriatric focused, I would say, well, look, I need to be ready for a structure fire the first hour of my first shift back. Yes, sir. First shift back. So here's the bar I'm setting for myself. And you're not signing that piece of paper saying I'm ready to go back to work until I can do X, Y, and Z. Now, that sounds very arrogant, but I just knew that I needed to kind of, you know, bring some education into that area because it was outside the, their, their, you know, scope of practice normally. So, yeah, walk me through the how 
how physical conditioning assists with rehab, you know, even though that's prior. Um, and then uh, let's talk about, you know, post-surgical recovery. You, brought, you said so many things. I, I know. That's so my, many cool things. <laughs> yeah, I guess my man mind. All right. First, I want to say the Southern, the typical Florida Southern, let's just say gentlemen, it could be either. That's another thing I don't buy into about the sexist thing. My wife and I were talking about the other day. Uh, maybe you and I have talked about this. How, and we're, there's a little bit of a tangent. I apologize. No, tangent away. Um, but, but in what world? I got this from somebody else, not mine. But in what world? I have a 140 pound, uh, Connie Corso puppy. Right. And she's a female. In what world do you, because somebody's a female, do you discount them? Do you say, oh, they're probably not that tough. Oh, they probably can't do this. And mm-hmm. what? You're standing in an African safari. Do you look at the undercarriage and say, oh, it's a female line? No. <laughs> no well, especially, well, and then think about this because this is something I've asked. I'm questioned. In the 1940s, our women were doing everything the men were doing. Yes, sir. How the hell did we get to 1950s where women belong in the kitchen? Uh, I don't understand how we regress there. I don't either. I guess I bet egos. I want to be cool. I want to be in charge. You know, I, th- that's got to be my guess. My wife will kick somebody's rear end. You know, <laughs> there's there's girls at our gym who who will get after it, brother. Oh, you know, it's right? a CrossFit gym. <laughs> yeah, it's women that will outlift me, out you know, outwork me, and they're they're incredible. Sorry, I'm not sure I even spurred that thought. Um, let's talk. The first thing I will talk, I guess, post-surgery. Let's talk about that environment for a second before we hit that. The, the Southern gentleman, uh, that's where we had how we got to the women. Uh, the Southern gentleman, the Southern gentlewoman, right? Is They're being rude, James. They're, they're taught being raised up that they're being rude advocating for themselves. You know what I'm saying? You'll have people go through the whole medicinal system and just hear what the doctor says because that's what's on the doctor's mind. And they won't even hear that your knee's locking. Your knee's not that swollen. I read an MRI report. I didn't look at your images. I read some report, and it didn't say anything about a bucket handle tear. Your knee's not that swollen. I got to hurry up and get lunch. So I'll tell you what. Let's see you back in four weeks and see how you're doing. You know what I'm saying? And the Southern mindset is, yes, sir. Okay, you're being a good citizen by, okay. I would tell you, that's, that's, man, you don't need to do that, right? That's veterinary medicine. And my dad was a vet. Right? And I, and I think I had, you know, sheep that were more, you know, <laughs> better advocates for themselves than a lot of people. Potentially, right? <laughs> they, they won't get up if they can't get up. But but I I think as 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 the consumer, you need to advocate for yourself, Right. That, that is part of the puzzle. And if you feel like, oh, I, I, I'm being put at arm's length and what I say doesn't matter or what I say doesn't incorporate, or maybe I'm not even leading my own care, right? I think you should be leading your own care. Here's some options. Here's what's good. Here's what's bad. Could you operate on this? Yes. Do you have to? No. You really might change your diet Take a short course of anti-inflammatories, not inject your knee, get into therapy, get your thigh stronger, and you may forget this happened. True story. And so that's a huge piece of the puzzle. If by chance we have to operate, you walk in with a locked knee and a bucket handle meniscal tear, 
then let the let's take care of that. Because if not, then you're going to continue to try to range your joint. You're going to tear up your cartilage. You're going to be worse off in 10 years than if we take it out. Mm-hmm. And it's agony. And, and on the repair end, there's, there's a potential repair. That's a little bit of a sore subject. If we go at our age, we might be too old to even have a repair win. Maybe we won't. You're a pretty active dude. You eat right. So if you have a meniscal tear that's acute and fresh, we're probably going to try to repair it. It's going to be a sad conversation. So we'll tell you six weeks of sitting off of it. On the crutches, and I mean not putting weight on it, right? You go and take a suture, and you put it, and you put that tissue down, it has to heal. So if you are putting full weight on that repetitively, repetitively it can't heal. It's like taking a scab and moving it every day. Eventually, that scab is going to die and it's not going to incorporate. So there are times where we can get moving. This fringe meniscal tear we were talking about, do you have to operate on it? You don't. But here's the deal, man. If you've gone four weeks and you behaved and you did anti-inflams and you did therapy and you did everything right and you still can't do what you want to do, then let's give it a shot. All right. That's what we did. So go in, scope the knee, clean off the meniscal pathology like a, uh, a divot in the road, right? Think of an asphalt road that has a, a hole in it. And if you just take the tires and roll over that thing every day, that hole will get bigger, 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 bigger. So there's a market. And it makes good common sense that you could go and smooth off that divot and, and, and tires could just roll right over and not continue to propagate that tear. So sometimes that's what we do. Just go in and smooth off that tissue, right? In our world, if you had surgery at the Florida Surgical Center, then you would be seen the next day in physical therapy downstairs. And so you have the, the person who did your surgery, right? You would have Toby, the athletic trainer. You would have the physical therapist who is going to do your therapy for the remainder of the time. All standing next All to you. standing right there with you. Mm-hmm. Here's your surgical pictures. Now, sometimes folks can't think that early on, right? They're still got anesthesia on board some. And, and so uh, sometimes it's for parents' sake or sometimes it's for a wife's sake, for a husband or a husband for a wife. Sometimes folks can really think clearly, but it is important for us to all sit in the room and, and for me to be able to say to the therapist, for Dr. Farmer to be able to say to the therapist, Dr. Moser to be able to say to the therapist, Hey, you need to, we need to be non weight bearing on this thing for six weeks. And you got to think, James, it, it's not just cartilage stuff. Sometimes we're rep- repairing tip plateaus and, you know, there's bony work and we need that stuff to heal. But also with the same token, they're on a bed and they are moving. You brought up the, the non movement thing, right? There was a day when we were putting post-ACLs in a cast. You mentioned prehab, right? There, there's a mod of, of medical care that you walked in the door and you tore your ACL, let's operate on you. And people do poorly. If they walk in the door and they don't have their range of motion, think, an ACL tears. PCL is not a real viscous, not a real, uh, not a lot of blood flow. PCL tears and the knee is super sore, but doesn't get huge. When knees get huge, a big vascular body probably has to be torn, like the ACL. And these things really balloon up. Well, obviously, it hurts to move it, so people stop moving it. And in the medical system, they get lost. It, they sit on it a week because they don't know what's wrong with them. Then they finally show up to a clinic, a urgent care, and the urgent care says, oh, you probably should see ortho. They call ortho, and, and they say, oh, we got an appointment in August. And so six weeks later, dude, this knee is a rock. And they're talking exactly like workman's comp. It's, exactly. it's one appointment after another. I mean, I, my, uh, my back, I went in, saw what I would consider a good PA. Um, and he was like, hey, you just did it. Let's just, just come back in. I think it was like three days. Let's just let it give a chance to kind of settle down first. We'll see where you're at. And I'm like, I, I have no issue with that. Came For back, sure. he wasn't there. This 300 and God knows what pound, you know, 
fucking idiot waddles his way down the hallway and uh basically looks at it and, and i was like hey you know, i really want to start the pt route it's still it's it's just as bad you know i've obviously done something you know i, I want to start getting this thing and he basically said no i'm not going to authorize physical therapy and i order you to take these anti-inflammatories and these pain pills and i'm just sitting there like so i was like all right and this is where i think it's important for people to be their own advocate and always use second opinion if it's if it's there and then with that second opinion find someone who is recommended someone you trust Anyway, I found the first guy and then he signed off immediately and off I went on my Pete, but that's just it. You know, the, the red tape and the egos, because workman's comp sometimes doesn't attract the best practitioners either. Um, if you're not understanding, you know, what you should be receiving versus what you're being told, as you said, the kind of yes, sir thing. And I don't mean that demeaningly it can send you down a path. And I've got friends now that are on, I, I've lost count how many back surgeries, you know, and, and it all started with that first one. And I truly believe that if they'd gone down, you know, the the PT foundation training route, yes, maybe they never have even had to have it done because I had a horrendous, you know, herniation and tore ligaments in my back and was deadlifting 225 about six months later in a competition. So Great story. Yeah, and, and, but it's just, you know, I think, like you said, the the importance of finding the right people, the importance of advocating yourself and sadly acknowledging that there just are people out there that will make your life worse, not better. You, just out of curiosity, um, if your car broke down, where do you take it? Do you know where you take it? Um, no. Actually, no, I take that back. Um, I bought, it's the first new car I ever bought like five years ago now, so I would take it to the dealership. Fair enough. So, yeah, because I have just recently. Okay. Um, I think you should know. You probably should have a plan, right? Yeah. It might break down. Um, I would urge the, pa- urge the patient that when something hurts, you do some research ahead of the, the deal. Now, you don't have to, but it's, it's probably, something's probably going to happen. And if, if you wait to to roll the dice and hope for the best outcome, you're risking. You're putting a big risk because you're so you're so nice and you're so uh, you're so southern or whatever it is that you are compliant that you'll just go with whatever that person says because they have some letters behind their name. How? And not to disparage your career or mine, but there are some lousy athlete trainers out there. There's some lousy fire and rescue folks. There's lousy people in every walk of life. Mm-hmm. Well, I had a guy tell me that I was colorblind as a child in the school physicals, and it stopped me pursuing the fire service for <laughs> almost a decade. Really? And then it turns out I'm like, because I'm not the sharpest tool in the box. I was like, wait a second, I can see <laughs> what's going on here. And then challenged the test in here in America, and was they were like, yeah, just name some stuff in the room. Okay, that's green. That's blue that's red and they're like okay and that was it and i just kind of facepalm before facepalming was a thing yeah yeah but <laughs> that, i think you, know. you have to do that you know mm-hmm. and it's not rude and it's not it's your medical care and and i think one cool th- thing about this place is my our folks we we want you involved in the process because what you find out james is it goes better then if you will buy in to what it is you're selling you're going to do better if you said if you would have just said well, I'm just going to do PT because that person told me to. You probably wouldn't have had as good an outcome. But because you're leading the charge and you have the general idea of what you want to do, use those folks as a resource. And next thing you know, you're trouncing me on the mats of justice. Mm. Well, and you're also working hard. 
yes, sir. at your PT. Yes, sir. Because, I mean, I obviously got to see an array of older people while I was yeah. training. Actually, only a couple of the younger ones. And you could see yes, if sir. there was determination to get back on their feet or if it was just going through the motions. And I think, you know, I brought foundation training to that PT clinic. Yes, sir. I said, hey, I've started doing this. I love this. It's working so well. <laughs> do you mind if I do this? And eventually they asked me to show them. So I hope that's something that maybe How they even that? use now. But, that's big time. But yeah, I mean, you, you know, that my thing was, I was talking to someone yesterday, and you have the uh, light duty. They go, oh, you can stay in the fire service. You just file papers and sit in the desk all day. And it's like, no, <sighs> no, no, no. Right. Or you could focus every day, not all day, you know, we've got rest as well, but f- every day be doing things that are working towards getting you back to work. Yes, sir. But sitting in a desk instead of being at PT, Cairo, the gym, to me is completely detrimental. Yeah, sometimes the path of least resistance, right? It just is. So that's what you go with and and you buy the propaganda. Oh, woe is me. And, and there are folks that have true orthopedic stuff that they literally have done everything. They're beating their head against the wall. But then it goes back to that thing we talked about before. If you don't try, you're going to have a bad outcome. Even when you try hard, there's still bad outcomes. Uh, but but if you'll do what you're saying, if you'll sit there and take it by the reins and get some good people on board, you got a better chance of this going well. Absolutely. Well, one more area I want to hit before we kind of go to some wrap-up questions. Obviously, people hear you talking about jiu-jitsu. Um, talk to me about what made you start that first day and then what that journey has been like for you now i mean we just rolled today and i know you were just playing with me <laughs> not true at all but, not uh, true no at all. it's very true um, so yeah all right so i am a uh this story has many levels right uh i am a uh to bust my own self i'm a jocko purple belt right i i had a jujitsu influence in my life previous a previous employment Two of my strength coaches were jujitsu trained. I knew them to be two of the baddest dudes and best dudes. You, you, you brought up Dean Lister, right? One of these dudes, Frank Pirano, who, who I hold high in my heart to this day, uh, was a trained human. That gentleman had a calmness about him, right? A college university strength coach. He had a calmness about him that transcends his profession many times. Most of that profession is yelling, screaming, kicking, fighting, kicking over stuff. And that's okay. You can get kids motivated that way. But, but there's something to a calm demeanor that means business that gets stuff done. And, and that was Frank. And he was a jujitsu trained dude. Uh, he had done some stuff with Tommy Lawyer, Lawler. Uh, he, oh, he, Ocala. He, he had done some training. I mean, he, he was a, he, uh, maybe this story applies to him. Maybe it doesn't. Um, but, but there was a skirmish breakout potentially on a field and I saw this particular person handle it very well in a safe manner, almost like a, uh, a, someone's trying to steal something at Best Buy and the cops come in and they handle it well or they don't. And this got handled well in short order. And I thought, what just happened? All of a sudden this fight is broken up. Everybody's safe. Nobody's hurt. And that guy's sitting still. And so I thought, man, that is interesting. My fake wrestling world couldn't comprehend it, right? That's very flashy moves and yeah, different. But that was, the, I, and even then I, I had some invitation. Hey, you should get in here and mess around with us. You should, you, you should try this. But it, that was a seed planted that didn't get watered for a long time. 
Because in my mind, I bought the propaganda that I didn't have time. I bought the propaganda that I was too busy. But in my defense, I was working seven days a week, so maybe I needed to be doing something different. And at some point, I was. Come here to the University of Florida, however many years later, and uh, Sully had a Choi Kwon Do program. Don't know what that is. I assume something like Taekwondo. But yes. Okay, so there's a Choi Kwon Do program in his school, and he was doing it. He self-selected, hey, I'd like to do this. Okay, so we bought him a little cheap gi, and he would do something a couple days a week. And that was part of their scholastic stuff. And uh, they took that out of the school system. And he comes to me and says, I would like to do something like that. Well, I didn't. Ha- I wasn't married to Choi Kwon Do. It was just in the school. So I thought, sounds good. It's something. All this uh, Jocko Willink, Echo Charles, Dean Lister stuff was still in my brain. Tim Kennedy. Uh, hear all these people say, this is something that needs to be incorporated into life. Those are people that I pay attention to what they say. Uh, they seem to handle their business how I wish I would handle my business. And uh, so I first started Google searching like you did. And I have a certain day of the week off, say it's a Wednesday morning. And that is the day that took out two gyms because they weren't open in the mornings. Uh, another two gyms got took out because they were open in some mornings, but not Wednesday mornings. And the first gym that could meet me where I was was Swamp Academy. So you started as a white belt there. Yes, sir. Every day of my life. And I've trained other places on my wife's at a conference or we're going out of town. But I'm born and bred of Kenneth Panagia Tacos. <laughs> of course, he has to have a really hard name to pronounce. Yeah. I had to Google it before the intro for his yeah. uh, thing because uh, like, I don't know how to say it. George, his dad says, plenty of tacos. Plenty <laughs> of tacos. Um, but uh, so I, we were in a different facility. And it was terrible looking, and I was scared. And so I would I would urge the person out there listening now, just go. Make up your mind and go. It will be the best thing you've ever done in your life. If you if you find the right school. Yeah, I can buy that. Yeah, I can buy that. Because I know in Ocala, no, not I, naming no names, there's one you walk in, and it may not be the best choice. Yeah, fair enough. Life. Fair enough. And I can't say that, James, I did a good job researching. I'm a southern general, uh, southern gentleman. And I was probably going to take whatever I got. God smiled down on me, and he had me go to that little cruddy room, uh, not where we were now, but about 400 yards away, and uh, no air conditioning, no heat. And I sat in that parking lot three Wednesdays in a row. And my time eclipsed, and I drove off. I could not walk in the door. I was one of those dudes that thought, when I walked by you in the mall, I sized you up and thought, yeah, I could take that dude. Right? 100% crap. <laughs> um, and so I was scared to walk in there, man. I didn't know it was going to hit me in the teeth, you know? So I walk in there the fourth Wednesday, finally. And Ken is in there and he says, I tell him, hey, this is what happened. Choi Kondo got pulled. My kid's interested. And he says, I tell you what, why don't you just stay for this class and watch? And if you, you know, and you know, hey, you've seen it one million times now. I've seen the ploy, man. Just sit over there and watch. Hey, you want to stretch? And next thing I'm on the mat stretching. There's some other guys over there, and I can stretch. And then next thing I know, I'm I'm doing jujitsu. And we're done with class. And he's like, "What do you think?" And and at some point, this switch went off. I did my little interview with somebody today, and, we, and I and I in my mind, I saw that dude when the switch went off. I was with that guy, 
in my mind when, boom, that guy said, holy crap, this is cool. You know, but I, I at the end of that first class, what'd you think? And I thought, this is the best thing I've ever done. And he comes back with, well, that's cool, but we don't teach kids here. So we had no kids program. He was teaching one private uh, with a young man. And he said, I'll tell you what, if you come train here, your son will be the uke. Your son will be the training partner. I teach this private. And every time I teach it, your kid will be there. And that's how Sully got started. So he started the same day I started. How many years ago was that? I don't know. 2014 or 2015. Okay. Um, So it's been a minute. Uh, And obviously it's grown immensely. There are three people maybe that are still training that were there then. It was a small group. And think how many people are there now. Think how many kids program now. Mm -hmm. There's there's 20 kids in in the kids program. And so, uh, for me, selfishly, boy, it's cool to see my kid get in there. I got a little girl. She's in there. It's good for him. You know, she's not quite as motivated as he is, but that's okay. She's still good, though. She'll still get after it. <laughs> yeah. When she wants to, she will get after it. Um, and so for me, uh, it, it, it became bigger than just jujitsu. For me, it's, it's my community. James, uh, my PTSD moment is stepping away from college football, right? For however many years, I am mommy and daddy. To 120 kids. If some if, if somebody's getting bailed out of jail, they're probably calling Toby. If somebody ha- cuts their hand, they're probably calling Toby. If somebody thinks they got the flu, they're calling Toby. And then all of a sudden, I came here with a different responsibility. And that was from a different state. Yeah. So I, you'd lost your tribe, your purpose, your community, everything. Right. The same and, way as the military and the first responders do. It's it. And all of a sudden, I needed something to fill some voids. Uh, I had great people here. Who were they wanted to help us heal? They wanted to to get us off the drug of college football, and I don't mean that in a bad way, right? Still, this day, I love college football. I'm standing on that sideline on Saturday. I, I love nothing more, you know. But it it taught me, hey, I got to raise this kid. This kid was four years old when we got here, and three or four, and and ah, we didn't have that great relationship. Not that you can, but if I would have continued that course, I wouldn't know that guy, you know. And, and man, God blessed us to end us up here and I can spend time with that guy, right? How cool is this summer been? You know, he's not been in a camp. So he's, that dude's training four days a week with, with me and you. Yep. And getting after it. Uh, nothing makes me happier. You know, so, uh, the competition of it, um, the, the, I mentioned losing my team, but I, I picked up this team. You know, I got a group of humans that are in an active sport that, I talked to somebody about this the other day. Uh, as an, a former athlete, I think I liked athletic training because it filled my, if me and you play foosball, I want to beat you in foosball. Whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want you to not be mad at me, but I want to win. Right. And so being on that sideline and winning that game, it, it, it filled up my soul a little bit. The competitive side. Yes, sir. It did. Okay. But it's like a, and I, I, I don't do a lot of drugs. But I'm assuming it would be like a bad drug. Maybe it fixes you for a second or whatever, but still bad, right? Jiu-jitsu to me is a pretty clean deal. Mm-hmm. I get the real sense of competition, and I'm in the middle of it. It ain't me just. It's not me just watching someone do something and cheering for them and be 100% invested in that. It's not just that. It's me 100% watching you, 100% invested. 
and see you catch that Kimura and take care of that person and not end their career and get the finish. They're squirming. They're trying to get out of the gant. You know, I mean, that kind of stuff to me is, uh, is transcendent of life. And I think while I've just, uh, it's probably my favorite thing I do. Now, what on that journey have been some of the challenges? So when I walked in, I got a blue belt under Mike Lee in the jungle. Yes, uh, sir. But my training was so... Is that Orlando? Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah, amazing gym. Amazing, yes, amazing teacher. But I was just a bad student as far as I was on shift. So yeah. I was just completely destroyed mentally when I got there. And I would still would train, but I'd have to, I get off shift at eight and I'd have to wait all the way to 11 till the class. Yes, sir. So every fiber of my being just wants to drive home and go sleep. So, you it's know. It's pretty strong. Yes. Pretty strong not to. <laughs> so once a week was, you know, if I was doing okay, twice a week was a damn miracle. Yes, sir. But even so, you think of the learning curve, very, yeah. very, you know, slow. And then, you know, I had my knee surgeries at paramedic school. So it just, I mean, it was a, a little bit of training spread over a long, long time. Yes, sir. So I walked in, I got my blue belt, like brand new blue belt right before, um, I think my last knee injury. Um, and so, you know, you talk about imposter syndrome because in that gym, oh, I would boy. say that a lot of our people are very good even wearing a white belt. 100%. Um, and so for me, the first, I mean, I think I've been there almost a year now, I think. Yes, sir. And only now am I starting to feel like, okay, I think I'm kind of where the thing around my waist <laughs> says I am. Yes, sir. You know? But yes, sir. it's it it's so soul destroying. You yeah. know, having quick quote unquote done it for quite a while. Yes, sir. Um with the ego just getting pummeled. Yeah. But you know, so you, you kind of see with a lot of people and you hear Ron talking like three years before he felt like he really kind of was getting somewhere. Yes, sir. What was that undulation of your journey? Because you're purple now, is that right? Yes, sir. Okay. So yes, kind sir. of walk me through the highs and the lows of, of that journey. Uh, on the initial end, in my mind, I had always been an athlete, right? Even throughout the rest of my life, I was doing whatever kind of races and I stayed active. And so uh, the first day I was, I've never... I've only seen a couple of people like me on this, whatever this choo-choo train breathing thing is. Bro, you should ask Ken. I had this thing where I couldn't control myself. Slap, bump, and Toby goes, <laughs> full speed. Like, I don't know what that was. I think it might have been anxiety yeah, or it might have been. Dump, probably. I don't know. You know, Adrenaline dump? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. But I could not control it. Uh, and, and I can't tell you how many times Ken said, Toby, be quiet right to the point of exhaustion you need to not make any noise <laughs> um and so that was really weird i couldn't figure out what i was supposed to be doing i remember one time i raced in a rash guard and the rash guard on my chest i thought oh my gosh i can't expand my lungs i can't breathe right and it took doug rackley or bruno tadasi to be on my chest with everything they've got to me find out at some point i can't breathe it's not comfortable. <laughs> it's not comfortable. And then I 100%, you brought up Dean Lister earlier today. I, I don't know what it is about that guy, enamored with that guy. Uh, but uh, I buy into his way of thought about a lot of stuff. Wouldn't it be cool if I got out of this? Wouldn't it be cool if I could be in this world's worst, most uncomfortable position and I could smile up at you and give you a little wink. That's what he was telling in the interview. He's like, I like to start in the choke. 
and then work my way backwards. And, and I buy it a hundred percent. Yeah, for him, for me, I'd be like, all right, and then and then three seconds later, I'm tapping or unconscious. But for him, yeah, I mean that level of of athleticism and, and he knowledge. He do it. Yeah. yeah. But I, but I did. I bought in. I thought for a while I, I wanted to be all on top. I wanted to stay. I didn't want to get swept. But then there's some of these guys that you train with that you can't help it. You're going to end up on your back. And then at some point, I buy into. I'm just starting on my back, right? Me and you slap bump and roll today, and I'm rolling up in a little ball, and I'm, I'm get, letting you get me in the worst position you can get me in, and then let's see what happens. So you said let. I told you. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, but that's my mindset, you know? Uh, and, and, and I'm not going to get out all the time. And guess what? That's life. You're not going to get out all the time. And Sully today got me in a, a little heel. Didn't get both of the little heel hook. Didn't get both of his arms clasped, and, and he looks up. You know, and he's intelligent enough to say, if this was Charles, you would tap. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but my little ego was, it took his one arm and got it out of the way and moved on with my business. So I think it's, it's, it has, I don't beep the horn when somebody drives badly, uh, as much as I used to. I don't get angry at X, Y, and Z. I, I'm not raising my voice in a house, man. Cause I found out that's all frivolous show stuff. At the end of the day, none of that stuff matters. You know, in a positive way, being a positive force, helping the, the situation go in, a, in the right course, to me, that's jujitsu. You know, you get me in that terrible finish, you get me in that crucifix or that lockdown or whatever, and, and I have to be able to calm the situation. Me and Arturo laugh a lot. Uh, he'll get a knee on belly, right? And my favorite uh, move in all of jujitsu is somebody gets a real heavy knee on belly. And in my mind, I'm past it. Right? You talk about Kenny today. Kenny's talking about, he's just over it. If you want to squish his face on a north-south choke, get after it. He doesn't care. Right? Or if, right? He's just going to sustain it and he's going to choke you. Once you get all good and locked in, here come them fists. Right? And so at some point for me, I don't care who it is. It can be Doug. It can be whoever. But on the neon belly, for whatever reason, it's not an issue anymore. And so if I can sit there and go, hey, will you look up a, do I have an eyelash out of place? <laughs> Do you notice anything? <laughs> you know, but but I think that's what jujitsu does to you. It teaches you that you can survive. You can make it through this. And then James, when a patient's upset, and I don't like it, hurts my heart. But when a patient's uh, un- unfounded upset, and they're just showing their rear end and things aren't going how you're supposed to go, that, that's not that big of a deal. It's a big deal because they're not happy, but I don't have to think the world's falling apart. And we're having an alarm response to it. Right, right, because that doesn't help anything, right? The Toby that yells and throws the laundry bin and gets all fired up, that that, that does not help the scenario. And so I think jujitsu has, has beat that into me. Yeah, it's amazing to hear. I mean, obviously I've had all kinds of people from Hoist Gracie through to just you know regular people like us that, that weave it into their life. And I think that's a thing that you said back then. I used to work seven days and I didn't have time. Like when I was in paramedic school, I didn't have time. And yes, I beat myself up. Oh, I could have been, I literally could have been a black belt if I'd started from shoot box, you know, all yes, this sir. time ago, but I didn't. Right. And that's, you know, I was a professional firefighter and working and a right. you know, single dad for a long time. It just is what it is. Right. But I love what you said. Then I moved here. Then I had to say, all right, where will accommodate this day and this day? And I think that's a question that people have to ask them. If you find yourself overwhelmed and every day is just full and you're not doing the things that ultimately are going to benefit you and your family, 
maybe it's time to have a conversation. How can I adjust this, you know, the buzzword work-life balance yes, sir. to make sure that I do have a window for jujitsu, for water polo, whatever it is that will be your outlet and improve your, your mental and physical resilience? 100%. And again, I think it, we do, you don't advocate for yourself and you, and you are losing for your whole family. You know, I mean, if you, if you aren't willing to stand up, and I didn't know this, you know, someone has to say this to me, right? But if, but if you're not willing to advocate for yourself, then everybody's taking a hit. And if you're not willing to get in there and get after it, uh, your outcome's going to be poor. So I don't know. Uh, one of the better things in my life, though, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Brilliant. All right. Well, then I would love to shoot some closing questions so I can uh, be mindful of your time. The first one I love to ask, is there a book or are there books that you love to recommend? It can be related to our discussion today or completely unrelated. Um, I, so I'll tell you this. As far as turning pages, I'm done with it. Paper pages, for me, I'm not enamored with holding the book. Uh, I am enamored with hearing the words. Right? Now, it turns out I ordered your book. Oh, you did? Yeah, and I did paper paper pages, and I enjoyed it. Loved it. Um, tell me, uh, people need to hear this if they haven't read your book. You have a quote in there about uh, history and uh, wisdom being spread about ourselves in the form of old people. Do you remember what that quote was? Is it something like that? I don't. I know. Yeah, I, <laughs> it, was, it was something along those lines. Though, I right? forget how I phrased it. Yeah, something but, like that. But um, yeah, I mean, basically, the fact that we. The real prejudice is, is age yes. and that we just discard people as, as old people, even though in other cultures, elders are revered. Yes. And as a firefighter and you get to go in these homes, you realize that these quote unquote old people with doctors and soldiers and nurses and all these incredible things. At what point do we write them off from the incredible journey they had to this kind of nuisance that we view the elderly? Yeah. And to, to you, I would say folks should read your book. Uh, loved it. But that, that bent, that bent my medicine a little bit, right? Because there's a part of me that says, bro, you're 76 years old. I don't know if pickleball is something you have to be doing. Go, right? But uh, there's some value, right? I, we're going to be there, bro. I hope. Oh, right? absolutely. And if somebody's telling us, hey, you're too old. So it's, uh, I want to say for you, that impacted me, man. I loved it. I think anytime I see a gray head, I think <laughs> that's a special person. Absolutely. Right? And, and you run the risk of, of discounting those folks if you let yourself. Yeah. I think we do with a lot with, with the elderly, with the homeless, with, you know, people in gangs. I mean, all these things, you know. I love that philosophy of not saying what's wrong with you, what happened to you. You know, and obviously it's not the same with the elderly, but it's another perspective yeah. with, with prejudice. This, you know, I hate the word bum, for example. That, how did you get from preschool to living under a bridge under I-75? Yes, sir. Tell me that story. Right. And that's, that's valuable. You, you say that and it makes me, uh, right, I do my little 15-minute uh, uh, interview thing once a week. And that, that has been life transforming. To sit there, you get to live it on a big scale. Mm-hmm. Um, 600 deep, right? Um, I'm 60 deep. But uh, you get to sit there and find out every single person has a story. Uh, it, it'll impact you if you let it. 
Right, books. <laughs> Sorry. No, uh, you're fine. No, that, I mean, thank you for that. No, for a start. I, I, list, uh, I listen to all these things, right? I'm a big uh, audio sully. Um, here's another thing. This is a uh, echelon front Chaco principle, right? If you'll just shut your freaking mouth, which obviously I have a hard time doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're being interviewed to be fair. <laughs> uh, if you'll just shut your mouth and listen, boy, you can pick up some stuff, you know? The elephant, as they say. And uh, Sully uh, got me on the Alachua County library system. I, I was paying for my Audible app. I was going to do X, Y, and Z. And this kid, five years ago, says, hey, Dad, we can, you can get a library card and you can get books through there. So that's what I do. So I get all these books free. And I type them in. And so it's the Libby system with Alachua County. And you can sit here and listen to all these books. So I have them all here. So I'm going to say some of them that I've loved. I didn't, you know, you just educate me. I, I was a member of the library for a long, long, long time, but I didn't think about, well, is there a way of downloading audio books? It's amazing. Quote unquote borrowing. Yes. And it's a system. So if you're reading it, they have, it's a signed system. They have how many copies? Four copies in the system. And if you're reading it, then I put it on hold. And when you're done and turn it in, I get it. I don't understand that. I don't see how that's possible, but that's how it works. Yeah, no, I love uh, it. Yeah, so check it out. Uh, recently, I just finished that. Uh, I've read all those Jack Carr books. You read any of those? Yeah, I had Jack on the show, and actually, I'm watching Terminal List at the moment. Hey, you Amazing. like it? Yes. Are you letting Ty watch it or not? Um, he hasn't been like drawn into that story particularly, um, but he's of the age now. But yeah, I let him watch. I mean, because right. you know he's almost 15. Yeah. The, the animations that are disguised as children's programs these days, I think a lot of the things that we think about are actually right. a lot better than that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Sully and I are watching it. Uh, we started it and have been watching it together. Um, but so that, that whole series, I just gobbled it up. Uh, I enjoy, I enjoy good fiction or good stories. You know, um, I think some of the, the autos I've read recently, uh, silly one. But uh, Tina Fey's, <laughs> you ever read her book, Bossy Pants? No. <laughs> you know who Tina Fey is, right? Yeah, the Saturday from Night SNL. Live. Yeah, yeah. Yep. She's, an, she's amazing. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld wrote a book not too long ago that was amazing. Um, I'm trying, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, it was just where he has, it was his notes. So like you and I, where we take notes on everything we do, uh, he, he he just sat there and read those notes. Uh I mean, four, five, six hours of it. I'm just sitting there listening to Jerry Seinfeld's voice. Some of that stuff's super impactful. I've read all the Jocko books. Um, trying to think of some stuff. Here's one that's funny to me. I should I should read my Bible more than I read it. Um, there is. Did you read 1984? I'm reading it right now. Are you really? I'm reading it right now. It's yeah, kind of shocking, isn't through it? Through the whole pandemic, I saw the quotes and references, and right in a fiction, I'm like, all right, well, I need to start reading fiction because everything I read to prepare for interviews is pretty much nonfiction. Yes, sir. Um, so I'm only, you know, I got 40 pages in or something, but I just started it. So that stuff to me is what's interesting. The stuff that is fiction, that is scary close to really what's going on. That was written a long time ago. It's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yes. That to me is another thing that I enjoy about the Jack Carr is that I think, uh, man, how much of this is true? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Well, I'm listening to, I mean, I've had, that's so funny. I remember my lip quivering the first time I spoke to a Navy SEAL. Right. No <laughs> I was doubt. enamored. And now, I've, you know, I know I've had so many on the show, but yeah, teasing out little slices 
whether it's talking about the uh, industrial military complex or the fact that the illicit drug trade is funding terrorism, you know, 100%. all these little things. And you start yeah. seeing these little jigsaw pieces. And that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm watching this going, huh. <laughs> yeah, some of it makes sense. Yes. Um, that's Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Yeah, I have that too. That uh, That's one for me. And, and I brought up my Bible earlier. I should be reading it more. But that that The Art of War, I can just listen to it. And it, it to me is a... And this is, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious or whatever, but it's biblical-like. Uh, it is, I have read it however many times, and I hear something different every time. You know, it is so deep to me, and maybe that's because I just can't understand it all. And as I sit there and hear the stuff, I think, holy crap, I take that. Holy crap, I take that. Which I feel like is probably what I should be doing with my Bible. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Uh, so a bunch of, I, I, I enjoy listening. I, uh, I am... If I'm by myself, I'm reading something via my earphones. I drive a lot for work. Uh, I do a lot of activity with my puppy. So I have some time where I can, you know, consume some material. So those are some some of my faves. Brilliant. What about movie or documentary? Um, man, I can't be as uh, philosophical with movies or documentary. I'm 100%. I want to laugh. Or, you know, there's some serious stuff that I enjoy, but uh, if Will Ferrell's in a movie or Owen or Luke Wilson's in a movie or, you know, if, if Steve Carell, or, you know, those are the things that uh, Step Brothers, uh, it's terrible, right? But uh, there's something to me just so timely about real humor. We call those firehouse movies. Yeah. So and they're universal. Yeah. So yeah, there's obviously a, a kind of escapism yeah. when you, especially when you're out in the real world. Yeah, a hundred percent. But then that's it, there's some characteristic of that many times that is, is fun in life. You know, I mean, there's a lot of that in life if you look for it. Mm-hmm. And we just sometimes get so bogged down in the in the day to day. And and that's been another thing to me for jujitsu that it opens my eyes. You sit there again, your rear end is mashing the mess out of me. You know, you're on top of me and stretching my arms and legs in all these different directions, and you find some clarity of thought. I have to be able to sit there and consider, okay, if my arm moves one more centimeter, I'm done. If I move my chest just this angle, I can breathe till the cows come home. Your Dean Lister bottom can be sitting there squeezing the life out of me, but if I can just cover my face this much, I can breathe. And so if you take that to real life, you start seeing some more stuff that's going on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You start being able to survive the anxiety-ridden moment of every second of life and finding a little humor and stuff. And so I, so I guess movies, that kind of stuff. I, I'm, I'm at the stage probably like you where I'm trying to watch stuff that I can tolerate that Sellier Paisley wants to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, it, the stuff that we can bond on or we can ha- meet at some point. I look, I'm looking for new things too. I don't know if you find the same. Like I've always loved films. Yes, sir. And there's a rehashing of the same story over again. You know, a lot of times it's worse each time too. <laughs> so when it's that's something true. new, yeah. that's where I'm like, I mean, even the the new Top Gun movie. Yeah. You know, it was it was a throwback to in Ghostbusters, the most recent Ghostbusters. It was a throwback, a tribute yes, to sir. our generation. Yeah. But in a new way, and I was like, that was awesome. Take my money. That was brilliant. There was a guy with Sully and I. You know, the whole family. We went all went and saw Top Gun. But there was a, there was an old head sitting beside me that cried like a baby the whole time. Yeah. They did, they did a good job with that, you know? It's cool to see, man. It's cool to see people like that being honored. 
You know, I mean, those people in that world, we're watching a movie. We're being entertained. We think Tom Cruise is cool. Whatever. But that dude sitting beside me was flying down on ships. Mm-hmm. And, and that stuff meant something to that guy. Yeah. And, and it's cool to see those people being honored. And so some of that stuff, yeah, I love that. Some of that stuff too. Beautiful. All right. Well, then next question. Is there a person you recommend? I think you've named a bunch of people, <laughs> but recommend to come on the podcast as a guest to yeah. speak to the first responders, military and associated professions of the uh, world. If, if I were you, and I haven't cleared this, so coming in hot, <laughs> I, I would bend Michael Hooper's ear. Uh, Michael Hooper was a a grad school classmate of myself and, and Uncle Brad. And Michael's first job was in the NFL. He told me that the day I met him, I think. What do you want to do when we're done here? I want to be in the NFL. Got it. That's cool. But what do you want to do till you get in the NFL? I want to be in the NFL. His first job, NFL. And he stayed. He lasted probably six head coaches. And finally, I mean, think he was a he he worked in the Carolina Panthers and the Detroit Lions system. So think of how many head coaches that boy went through. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> and you know the system, right? A new head coach comes in and you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, clean so house. He, he made it through a bunch of uh, changes, and then finally one of them got him. And his next job was Navy SEALs in Virginia Beach. And so he's AT there for for the seals and he's told me some stuff it's like my wife my wife's in trauma orthopedic trauma and i get home and i say boy saw a bad ankle sprain today (laughs) (laughs) you know i almost can't have conversations with those people Mm -hmm. it's just is a different brand of medicine you know mike and i have these conversations of uh i don't do as good job keeping up with them as i should uh but uh, you know he's telling me about people landing off shoots and shoots not opening and and reconstructive surgery and cutting limbs off so people can go back and get down shoots and do it again that kind of stuff's pretty powerful i'd be interested to hear some of his stories well if you're able to connect us let's make yeah i'd love to love to beautiful all right well then the last question i'm assuming jujitsu is probably part of this answer what do you do to decompress yeah uh I got a uh, that that Connie Corso puppy I talked about has been a cool COVID blessing. Uh, we had never had a dog, and, and you said how old and how big? Two years. September will be two years, so not quite two years. And 140 pounds right now. So basically, a horse is what you have. <laughs> she is a big puppy. <laughs> she is a big puppy, James. She is a funnel of me. She is a emotional uh, barometer. When a hole Toby walks in the room. That dog's not as nice. When Toby, who just got done with jujitsu and is caring about other people more than himself whilst in the room, that's a pretty nice dog. I can I can see it, man. It's crazy how they pick up on that stuff. But that's been cool. Uh, she is a creature of habit. She's a farm dog is what they're bred. They're, they're, they were bred to put, I'm told, oil cauldrons on their backs. They're, Ill, they're Italian dogs. So in war times, put these oil cauldrons on their backs and run them out into the front lines. That's what they were bred to do. At the enemy? Yes. Wow. And here they go. And, and so she is a char- she's a hard charger. She needs structure. She needs work. She, she does best in that environment. So 45 minutes a day, we walk the same loop. We walk from, we live right behind Las Margaritas. So we walk to Crafty Bastards and back. She checks on all the loops as we go. She comes back. But for me, that's a little bit of peaceful time. My wife makes a walk with me a lot, but sometimes she doesn't. Irregardless, it's a good time. That's a decompressed time, right? Every single day that that dog's been alive, we've done it. Uh, she needs it. 
I take one one uh, morning, terrible story. Uh, I say I, I fell asleep in the chair. Toby sleeps in the chair. Uh, I fall asleep and I'll, I hear a noise. I wake up and Lucy, uh, the puppy, is is chewing the floor, and it, and I missed our window of walk, and and that's the only time I've ever had it. one time that I had an issue when I dropped the ball. Um, but so that's a decompress for me, and then obviously jitsu. Yeah, um, I love it. Right. So in, in my mind, I'm Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings. Sully's got class on Wednesdays and Fridays, in addition to the, the, the adult classes. And then Saturdays, you've been there one time with us. Um, that Saturday morning, there's a kid class at 930. And that little piece of mat on Saturday morning, if I can line that little piece of mat up for an hour, that, that, that's one of my favorite things in the world. You know, Brad and I will go in and we will beat the mess out of each other for an hour. But I come out as whole. I might have got armbarred or or you know, triangle choked or whatever 2,000 times. Um, but, but I will come out as whole that day as I am, you know? And so uh, there's just something about that that is refining. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, the only, it was a shame because the Saturday, like every other Saturday I'm down in Miami seeing Becky because she's in med school. Yeah. But when Ty was in the kids' class and, you yeah. know, it was, it was yeah. I was able to make the trip at least every other week. But since he kind of stepped away, then yeah. that's the one window that I'm not able to. But, uh, yeah, I mean, amazing. And even with the dog thing, I have two German Shepherds, a puppy yeah. and a 10-year-old. And same. You know, yeah. I've had canine trainers on the show and they said the same thing. Working dogs, you need the exercise. And so... I think I work walk a total of three miles a day just with them. You know, one is just Some a couple healing of loops. time, right? Yeah, the other one was actually throwing the ball. So I'm like, okay, if they're working dogs, I got to give them that as well. Yes, sir. But yeah, I mean, if I don't, then you know, and something gets destroyed in the house, that, as you said, that's on me. <laughs> yes, that's sir. not on the dog. Right. It's interesting, so, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, then for the for people listening, um, you, I know you have an awesome. Um, Instagram account, I don't know if you're on other places too, but tell me. That's all I did. That's Instagram. I okay. was 100%. It's a silly story. Now, I'll be fast. Uh, I've never taught a jujitsu class. Uh, Kenny said 200 times in a row, hey, if, and for whatever reason, I don't agree with this now, <laughs> but, uh, whatever reason, hey, if you're a certain belt, you need to consider teaching. He said that a bunch and I looked at the floor a bunch. Right. And there was a gentleman who was my same rank at the time who took a Wednesday class. And, uh, I felt relieved because I was tired of Kenny saying it. And at some point that gentleman decided to step down. And the second he took that class, I thought that should have been me. Not that that guy was a better teacher than me, but I should have tested myself. I should have put myself out there to, to learn. Right. You learn by teaching. Mm-hmm. You know, in some degree. Level. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so that was one thing that through time, okay, I, I'm going to take this on and I'm going to teach this class. So every Wednesday, 1130. And that's the cool thing about Kenny's, uh, Kenny's world. I've never seen, James, I've been around a score of coaches. I've seen few coaches that are as attentive to his athletes as Kenneth David Wan, Kenneth Plenty of Tacos. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's better beyond the mats. That's the thing. Yeah, it's more, he, it's so much more than that. It mm-hmm. is, right? But I've, I've seen so few coaches that, that get paid what people get paid in the SEC. I've seen so few people that do the job he does. And I said that before about competition, how it fixed a hole in my soul, right? And it was cool. But bro, to be coached, to have somebody, me and you sitting there rolling and that dude comes and sits beside us. Today, uh, Kenny and Sully are rolling. 
getting after it. And Charles Harriet comes and sits beside them and is spouting stuff in Sully's ears. You cannot replicate that. No. Charles is another great black belt. That's life-altering, man. Mm-hmm. Those, those things going in Sully's head, that, that'll change his life. Yeah. I forget where we're going with this. Um, Fifth-hand jiu-jitsu. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> so, so, so what's it going to teach? Now it's the best thing of my life. I look forward every Wednesday, right? Never had a social media that I was going to mess with, right? I was the one, didn't do Facebook. Had a Twitter a long time ago. Didn't mess with it long. Um, and Kenny kept doing that contest. Hey, if you will, when you come into class, if you'll check in, I'll put your name in a hat. And same thing. Toby's head looked down. Toby's head looked down. And at some point I thought, okay, if I'm going to, I could do social media to help Kenny. You know, I could just do something to promote the school. And so, again, my personality is bad, uh, but if I'm in, I'm in. Here we go. <laughs> so we said, okay, uh, and Paisley and Sully, they were in too. So we're going to be a little team here, and uh, maybe it's another thing for us to do together. So we started three days a week. We're going to put some posts for Kenny. Okay? We, that got easy. Okay, five days a week. A post for Kenny. Okay, seven days a week. We're doing something Jiu-Jitsu Swamp Academy related. And so now that's what we do. You know, it is sometimes a quote, sometimes it's a video. Uh, but uh, that was the mindset is let's promote the school. It's changed our lives. Let's give back. And so uh, at fifth hand jujitsu. So hit us up on the Instagram. That's all we mess with. Um, we try to be as accessible as we can. It's been fun. It's cool uh, to banter back and forth with folks. Um I'm one of those people. My cell phone stays on 24 hours a day uh, for what I do for a living. I'm on call 24-7. And turns out, James, today, uh, you know, I've had a couple that I've had to hit. I had somebody call me during class on Wednesday. I, part of the trade is i got to answer the phone. But the other part of the trade is, man, I get a lot of time to myself. You know, so that's cool. I uh, love it. But at Fifth Hand Jiu-Jitsu, the Fifth Hand, um, Doug Rackley. Big Doug, you know mm-hmm. Doug? Yep. Uh, I distinctly remember taking me in one particular role. I got a bunch of firsts with Doug. Oh, but I distinctly remember, uh, I am down at his feet and I start to die, kind of dive toward his head because again, Toby was going to stay on top and I kind of go toward him and I remember his feet coming kind of to his chest and, and catching my thighs and getting me up in the air and giving me a little spin. <laughs> and, and next thing I know, he's got my back mm-hmm. and I thought, that's not fair, right? He's got hands down there too. And so as time, I try to use my feet as hands. And then the fifth hand is trying to use your head as a hand too. So that's where that came from. Somebody made that up in one of my classes. They sat there and said, dude, because I try to incorporate that into my game. If I can move your arm with my head and let my hands do other stuff. And somebody's like, you're using your hand like a, or your head like a hand. And that's where it came from. So we went with it. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun. We do, an, we do an interview show once a week. Uh, so every week we interview somebody, mm-hmm. and it can be anybody related to jujitsu or not. More times than not, it's folks at the school, and that's been so empowering. There's so many people at our school. I, like, it surprises me. It's a, I'm astounded at 600-something episodes. I can't believe it, right? But you're choosing from a world population, so okay. It's 65, 70 episodes. I was thinking that this morning. Bro, can you believe that? In the gym. In the gym. Mm -hmm. Of how many cool people with cool stories. There's not been one of them interviews that I thought, that that wasn't fun to listen to. 
You know, they're real people with real stuff. So we do that once a week. We got a little skill thing once a week, and then the rest of it's ha-ha funny if we can. Yeah. No, it's brilliant. And there's some of the kind of, you know, the the creative stuff that you do with Sully. You know, I'm assuming that's in, in your garage at home. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. So, yeah, at Fifth Hand Jiu-Jitsu, everyone subscribe. Appreciate you. Well, Toby, I just want to say thank you. We've gone thank for you. over two hours now. Um, such an amazing conversation. I'm sure people can... Uh, can detect that strength and that vulnerability that yin and the yang in this um, this conversation today but uh i mean you've educated me on many areas as, as you know as a human being as a jiu-jitsu practitioner as a paramedic um that i'm going to walk away from this conversation and i'm sure people listening have loved it as well so thank oh, you that's sweet of you and i can't say enough about you man listen uh it, it, i appreciate you interviewing me i appreciate you having me on i have no reason to be here right i think of that you, you, you we were talking training and you interviewed dean lister or whatever uh the highlight of my jiu-jitsu career is that Toby and Dean Lister share a sentence. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, so uh, it's a little bit, uh, it's amazing to me. You're, you, you've got a skill that, that whatever you call it, in, in my mind, that God bestowed upon you. And, and you, you pull stuff out of people, man. Uh, Kenny and I, if this sounds the least bit decent, Kenny and I are not articulate humans. And I sat there and listened to Kenny's thing, and I thought, holy crap, whatever you do to make somebody comfortable and then they can pour their heart out is special. And uh, I want you to appreciate it.